Hello, and welcome to Into the Aether. It's a low-key video game podcast, and my name is Brendan Bigley. I'm Stephen Hilger. Stephen, this is a big day. Yeah, um, this is so surreal. It feels like um, a dream, not in a dream come true, but literally a dream, where I can't tell, like, <laughs> you know, I'm watching something and then I'm in it, kind of levels of etherealness. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, for context, I just moved recently, and, like, I think in general, time is kind of blurring for people. Yes. Um and like it's just, <laughs> uh, and here here comes the Final Fantasy VII remake marching into my reality as I'm <laughs> unpacking. Literally, cannot be more thematic. Like as I'm opening package containers of things I've brought from an old place to a new one. Yeah, uh, this game comes out and is here. Uh, you and I have both played around the same. Perplexingly, you have gotten farther than me. Uh, yeah, I but, honestly am. Um, I called you worried, I think yesterday or two days ago, and I was like, Stephen. <laughs> really concerned. I was like, yeah. I'm only 12 hours in. How far in are you? Is there a I'm point like, that I should tell hit? me how to put on shoes? I don't know. <laughs> Give me a second. Um, I'm learning how to swing a sword. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm somehow further than you still uh, at this moment, uh, but uh, don't worry, dear listener. We're not going to spoil anything uh, really concrete within this first half I think of the episode um, so you're safe up until we finish talking about Animal Crossing again somehow <laughs> yeah if you want to go in completely blind to the uh, Final Fantasy 7 remake or just FF7 remake um, although I like our rebranded FF7 2020 so much more yeah me and too and we'll get into that honestly because I think like stamping remake on the official title of this is like having a pre-owned GameStop sticker you can't take off it just yes. looks like it, it takes away from from uh, the game i think but yes anyway, it's it's all beef hot dog it's it's putting the words all beef on the hot dog packaging <laughs> yeah exactly like it technically is that you're super right yeah yeah anyway um that that aside uh in this first segment brandon and i are going to revisit our very different experiences with final Fantasy 7 as like a thing like the game and the, mm-hmm. and the things around it because you know as as i don't need to explain to you this is probably like the closest thing to like a star wars level like meteor of 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 like change and impact on a medium like, oh my god yeah Final Fantasy 7 whether you played it or not that game like completely changed a lot both for the series of final fantasy and just like for video games in general in a good way and and we'll talk about that more but yeah the first segment of this episode is going to be just our experience with that and then what what we wanted from the remake or what we were going in uh expecting maybe you know stuff like that expectations essentially and that will kind of go into uh how we've been experiencing it so far and then the second half we're going to go more into like the concrete details of like what we're really enjoying about it i will say right the bat like i'm i'm having a great time with it uh i think it's a great game yeah um, if, you, if you want the the like the uh back of the box review yeah. of final fantasy 7 2020 ff7 2020 yeah. i imagine yeah you you just said you like it i am having a great time with it yeah. um that's not to say it doesn't have some like brutal flaws every once in a while but like overall my experience with it has been like nothing short of kind of miraculous at times um i am yeah. very much enjoying this game i, I want to save my full thoughts for later but yeah i mean like the conceit of the show is just you and i talking about what we're enjoying and celebrating the medium in in a way that we you know it's just us talking about stuff we like uh but <laughs> <laughs> this is a game I think we would have talked about no matter what. Even if we like despised yes. it, we had to talk about this game. Yeah. Uh, every now and then, there's just something we have to cover. Um, yeah, it's it's meteoric so. in its impact. I think <laughs> meteoric, my favorite Lincoln Park album. Anyway. <laughs> um, <laughs> okay. <laughs> 
So yeah, so that that kind of maps out the the game plan. Um, why don't we then just begin? Stop dilly dallying. It just it just I'm struggling to. This is like the hardest episode to make for me, oddly enough, because like this is so to to put this the fact that this game exists, the fact that we've been doing this show for for two years and some change, and we've had to cover Kingdom Hearts three and the Final Fantasy seven <laughs> remake is just like so baffling. Yeah, uh, that these games exist. Um, and and uh, but I'm I'm very excited. So let's I guess we'll start with our experience with with the original. Yeah. Uh, do you want to go first? Or me too. Yeah, I think I should probably go first because I, okay. I mine is abridged. I think you'll be more chill, and I'm not going to at all. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I get it. No, that's that's why I want you here, Stephen. I want you to not be chill on this episode. I'm the Efreet to your Chocobo chick. You yeah, know? there you go. Exactly. <laughs> um, so yeah, I I actually was just talking about this before we started recording, but a, a mutual friend of uh, Steven and mine gave me a copy of Final Fantasy 7 when it came out. He had just beaten it. I Like pers- in 97 then. So like you guys were like five? Uh, I guess later. I guess it was okay. years later. Yeah, I don't yeah. really remember when. We were both in middle school. But anyway, he gave it to me. I then proceeded to like not play it and hold on to it for like two years and then one day just returned it to him. So uh, <laughs> I had it in my possession and didn't play it. Sure. Um, it wasn't until years and years later, and I've talked about this on the podcast before, but it's worth revisiting. Uh, I really wanted to get into Final Fantasy. You and I were writing for a game site at the time, and I was like, here's this whole side of video games that I'm missing out on. Um, so I need to experience this. I had a Vita at the time, and they had just re- re-released uh, Final Fantasy X and X-2 remastered for for the Vita. Um, and if you bought it, you got cross-buy with the PS4. What a great deal. Smashing deal. So Good I bought deal. It. The Vita. I bought the thing, and I played about, I would say, 10 to 15 hours of that game, uh, X, the original, uh, and loved it. Was like over the moon. I was like, finally, it was just like, it's like the yeah. gates to heaven opened. And I was like, oh my God, it's everything I've ever wanted. I understand finally. <laughs> Blitzball, you're real. <laughs> I've always wanted underwater rugby. Yes. <laughs> He's wearing a vest, no shirt, and a headband. Um, anyway. I will say, though, like, 10 does seem to be, like, if 7 wasn't your gateway, 10 was. Mm-hmm. It's like those two were, like, the big landing points for the series for people. Yeah. Um, so, so I played a big chunk of 10 uh, and then tried to use the PlayStation Plus, the newly released at the time, PlayStation Plus cloud save feature to move my save from my Vita to my PS4, uh, and it then corrupted my save and erased the whole thing. So uh, I stopped playing Final Fantasy VII. I was like, I'm not going to redo those. Or I mean, 10. F- 10, sorry. Yeah. I'm not going to redo those hours. So I bailed. Yeah. Uh, and I it, don't blame you. That's a brutal restep. Yeah. Because like every every Final Fantasy game, the first 10 hours are like either a dream or chores. So yes. It's like, I don't want to do that again. Yeah. Yeah. The, the only time in a JRPG I've ever really enjoyed replaying the opening bit is in Kingdom Hearts 2 specifically with the Roxas stuff. Mm, yeah. I mean, I could I could point to examples like in more recent history, like uh, <laughs> a little game like Fire Emblem Three Houses. Yes, um, but I that's agree. a that that game is built to be replayed, so that's a whole right. different genre as far as I'm concerned. So ended up not replaying Final Fantasy X, and then it took years and years and years. I think honestly, now that I'm thinking about it for real, until we started doing this podcast, yeah, uh, and you told me to get Final Fantasy IX, uh, and I started playing that, and I liked it. I didn't get super far in, and just like the nature of the podcast, I had to move on to other stuff anyway that was um, really on yeah we were we were flippant and and mercurial yes. in those days yeah um and then that's when i hit uh i think it was last summer if i'm not mistaken uh when you were coming to town our plan was that you and i 
<laughs> you and I were uh-huh. gonna play Elder Scrolls for Oblivion, uh, greatest game of all time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Our, our favorite video game uh, collectively, and we were gonna play it live on stream. We were gonna do an episode about it, uh, and the whole episode was gonna be about that. And my plan was, I'm going to be very sneaky and split the episode in half without Steven knowing. So before you arrived, I played the entire first bit of Final Fantasy VII, the original on the Nintendo Switch. Um, Great port, by the way. If you don't have the original, that's the best place to get it. Yeah, I would say. it's awesome. Yeah. It's an incredible port. Um, yeah. and, and I've talked about this. I talked about this on that episode where I surprised you by letting you know that I had played up through uh, as far as the remake covers was kind of my intention was like yeah, the play- Midgar section. Yeah. yeah. So I, I, I get out of Midgar out of that main city. Um, and that's where I stopped. But anyway, I played uh, up through that point and I, I talked about this on the show. But the reason I like that port so much is that it comes with a bunch of like essentially just like built in cheats that are like you do a billion damage every time you attack or you can speed up the game times three or you can fill your uh atb meter up all the way every time like every second it just fills up all the way so you can just like do cool shit constantly um for someone who wanted to experience that game via the story specifically especially considering i was crunching it in the week before you showed up um that (laughs) was the perfect way for me to play that game um and i don't think i would have committed to doing it uh just given the age and having no nostalgia for it literally whatsoever um i think that that's the only way that i would have gotten through it but uh having gone through it i really liked it uh i thought it was spectacular and and we'll talk about that uh more i think going forward but uh the only other final fantasy stuff i played now is final fantasy 14 which you and i had like five episodes on in a row uh so Yeah. yeah that's that's kind of where i'm at is like loosely i would say on the fringes of final fantasy oh i played about 20 hours of final fantasy 15 also uh, oh, when, yeah. when that yeah. came out um which i played in like an absolute haze because i had just gotten dumped and i moved back home and i was allergic to my parents cats uh so i just like <laughs> i don't Time remember to go in the car baby yeah i don't remember Let's any take of a it. drive <laughs> but yeah yeah I remember because 15 was like the one that you like when we started, that was the one you always pointed to is like the one you put time into and enjoyed other than your tragedy with 10. Yes. Um, which almost feels like a break of, a, of its own. Right. You know, getting <laughs> it's, that yeah, it certainly felt like it. I, was, yeah. I was like really heartbroken by that. I was very upset. I mentioned this before, but my friend Chris referred to beating that game as losing a friend. Like once he was done with oh, 10, man. he was like, yeah. I felt like I lost a friend. Yeah. But that speaks to, I think, uh, especially the earlier Final Fantasies, I would say like six to 10 to me is like what I would consider like the golden era of like the stories and characters. And like back in the day and, and hopefully again, I think that series was like one of the flagship series that were pushing what games could do narratively in a really cool direction. Right. And, you know, and I think I'll, I'll speak on that more as we discuss all this, because I think that like inherently with every final fantasy being a different story in a different world, like it's going to be all over the map. Right. Just like not even in quality, but just like in what stories are being told and which ones resonate with you and why. And that's, I think, the strength of the series is the fact that they always change it up. I think that's what keeps it so fresh. Like, even if you're more into one era over the other, like, I I commend them for not just doing, like, oh, there's eight crystals we gotta get. Let's go in the airship every time. Yeah, right. So, anyway, oh, my experience with FF7? (laughs) Take a seat. Uh, Let me just spill this bucket of Nickelodeon gack over you and we'll call it a day. (laughs) I talked about this a lot, and I think uh, I'll, I'll say it again, hopefully in an interesting way. And maybe this is your first episode, so you won't mind hearing it. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll FF7 remake my experience with FF7. Perfect. Um, but as I've said, I've, I've spoken about this quite a bit, and I played FF7 at the age of 
eight or nine. I was in fourth grade and it was probably, I guess, a year or two after it had come out already. Um, and that at that age, I was getting really into video games. Like I, I grew up with a Super Nintendo and a, I, I used to call it old Nintendo, even as a kid, the NES, That's awesome. Super Nintendo and old Nintendo. <laughs> um, and I always, like, I really loved the Mario games and the Kirby games. I would play with my sister and my, and the rest of my family. So like, I was always a Nintendo kid, but I hadn't really experienced like a narrative game. I didn't really know like, cause you know, you're not really playing Super Mario for the, for the, uh, for the story <laughs> happening there. It's more right. about just the experience or the atmosphere and the platform. The mise-en-scene of Super you know, Mario the, World. The, the umami of Super Mario <laughs> World. <laughs> uh-huh. There's the episode title. There's nothing to do about whatever we're discussing. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> I remember a friend recommended Final Fantasy VII and they pitched it in that it's kind of like, oh, no, no, no. They were telling me how it works, like how it plays. And they're like, oh, you level up and you get all this stuff. I'm like, oh, so it's like Pokemon. And they were like, no, it's nothing like Pokemon. But I'm like, it kind of <laughs> is. I mean, like Pokemon is definitely for someone at that age, especially like yeah. a great entryway into RPGs. So I knew that I liked turn-based combat and RPGs because of my unhealthy love for Pokemon, <laughs> making my dad wait an hour so I can watch the Poke rap before school and then go to school. Yeah. Uh, so like got Final Fantasy VII for Christmas. I remember I got that in uh, Abe, uh, Oddworld Abe's Exodus. Oh man. <laughs> a game where you had to, that was a weird game. We'll talk about that another time, but that was a game about like, yeah, escaping when, when Oddworld Abe's Exodus remake comes out eventually, but both uh, ironically, both cutting critiques of capitalism. Yeah. Uh, so at a young age, I was kind of conditioned. Anyway, Final Fantasy VII, I remember renting it and like, ju- it just, it just felt so unreal. It just felt like, oh my God, like well, this is like watching a TV show, but, or a movie, but it's, it's interactive, which like cool, hot take at year old Steven. But like at that time, I'd never experienced that. It was like yeah. seeing a new medium take shape in front of you. And mm-hmm. I think that no matter how old you were, I think a lot of people felt that way about that game in particular, which is why it had such a strong effect. So just immediately fell in love. That was like my favorite game of all time. And it just instilled in me this love of RPGs, this love of video games, and the idea that fantasy didn't have to mean Lord of the Rings. That and, yes. I, and I still I still cherish this about Final Fantasy as a series. You know, seeing series like Saga and Monstrous and and other things that are like fantasy, but like do their own thing. It's not just the same stuff over and over again. Right. Um, And I feel like Final Fantasy VII kind of like helped put a kind of like urban fantasy modern setting in the spotlight and be like, this can also be fantasy. You can be in like a really industrial. uh, (laughs) Honestly, it reminded me of New Jersey. That's also kind of why I responded so well to Midgar was like, (laughs) and I think as dystopian as Midgar is, there is something so universal about it. Yeah, like kinda absolutely. This because it's it is simultaneously depressing but also beautiful. Like there is novelty and and like when you first see Midgar when the when the camera zooms out, like majestic music plays and it looks like you're seeing like a weird Ayn Rand propaganda about like mankind can make the greatest heights, yeah. you know, or whatever. Yeah. Um. But there is beauty in the architecture of that. So I I just. 
it was just like, and I, I think also on a more personal level, I just loved that sense of ensemble. That's also why I liked Star Wars as a kid and why I still gravitate towards certain stories. And especially in games, I, I always like the idea of there being like a group of characters versus one. And I think that's the thing too, that that really stays strong with Final Fantasy VII playing it even today is like that core cast is so good and is like so iconic in every way. Like there are so many characters that have been inspired by Cloud or Tifa or Sephiroth, like you can dozens dozens like if not hundreds not to mention kate sith uh but you know anyway uh so this game meant a lot to me i i i I replay it over the years as like a treat to myself so like i i didn't really ever beat it like i i always kind of just started over when i would lose interest Mm -hmm. which i did that a lot i did that in ocarina of time wherever i got to the water temple i'm like well time to reset time and start again (laughs) so i remember i finally beat it when I was 13, which was probably like the age I could finally process like what the story was even about. Cause before then I was <laughs> like, Oh, there's a dog that talks and I think it's cool. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm sure I picked up more than that, but you know, I, I didn't really like directly follow the core plot until I was 13 and I finally finished it. And it was so, uh, it was just a landmark. Um, and pretty much since it's been released, like since, uh, even the PS2 era, I mean, Final Fantasy X only came out like four years after seven. And you can see in that time how much the technology yeah, it's wild. It's yeah. ridiculous. So seven, like, kind of almost immediately outdated itself with like the graphics. I've I've grown to really like them over time. I think like what they did was I think the intention with the game was they wanted to tell like a more cinematic story. Uh, before seven, it was always like Super Nintendo sprites that have ironically aged better. Yeah, um, yeah. But the thing about the FF seven sprites is like those polygons are just really stylistically crude polygons of a sprite like they had the same kind of proportionality mm-hmm. as the snes sprites do they're just like a 3d environment which, which looks kind of awkward but like once you get used to it it doesn't really it's just it's so it's so purposeful and like i think that game and we'll discuss this i think a lot with the remake I think seven is such a gloomy, dark setting in the beginning, especially that the characters being structured the way they are and and having the personalities they do adds this really constant layer of levity to what would otherwise be such a harrowing experience. Yeah, we Um, talked about this in the episode read where I played that for the first time. But even in 2019, playing Final Fantasy seven for the first time, what I found really striking about that game visually outside of like, I would say the character models themselves being polygonal and kind of strange. Um, I found the back plates and like skyboxes and environments themselves that you're going through to be really evocative and almost impressionistic in a way. Like, yeah. and, and this was a thing that we talked about in that episode, thinking about the remake that was coming up, but like the remake looks like what your brain perceives the original to be. If that mm-hmm. makes any sense. I don't know if that is, that might've been a little bit of like circular talk, but like, when you're looking at the original Final Fantasy VII, your brain sees something or fills in the blanks that are not there, that are not present visually. And the thing that your brain sees is what the remake is, uh, which yeah. is really fascinating. Um, yeah. So, like, with the limitations of the technology at the time, they managed to create something that was really evocative of the place that they were trying to uh, they were trying to bring to life. Uh, I, I, yeah. I, I think it's really successful even now. And, and that's what I mean. And I've been because I 
earlier in the show, even like I've always kind of accepted like, okay, well maybe like if you didn't play it at that time, it, it won't land as hard. But you and and many other friends in my life and, and people I know have checked it out later in life, well into their early 20s, well after the fact this game came out and it still is a big deal for them. Yeah. So like, I think it's worth hanging on to that because like, yes, this is one of those, oh, it was really a big deal at the time, but it's still, it still retains so much value. And I think that Video games have an interesting place in like the world of artistic mediums because like we don't think twice about watching a really old movie. Uh, we might go in with like different expectations. I think it's the level of involvement that the player has that makes it perhaps more archaic to play like mm-hmm. a like seventies version of Pong on like a weird <laughs> like military device that was forgotten. Yeah, but I think that like. Final Fantasy Seven is a is a old gem that like if you're interested in games as a medium, I think it absolutely is still worth checking out. And I think too that playing the remake makes me also appreciate things about the original even more. And um, we'll discuss that more in detail later, honestly. But I think that what this is to me is is the remake and the original existing in tandem alongside each other and not one replacing the other. Yes. And in the same way that I think like the Resident Evil 2 remake, I'd be like, just play the new one. Because like that does, it just, it's just like so good. And they did everything the original did. And like, yeah, the original has that kind of can't be fun, but like mm-hmm. you're not going to be happy you went through tank controls. You're just going to enjoy the remake more. Whereas yeah. this is a case where it's like they're different games. Like they're really different they games. They extremely are. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's both for better and for worse so in terms of what i wanted from it i honestly i went through the full the full range of emotions leading up to this like pretty much since ps2 people have been talking about remaking this every generation every year that passed after release was like when is ff7 gonna be remade yeah because like we said even four years after it came out technology was so like the, the cutscenes in Final Fantasy X still look great somehow. Like, it's incredible. And I think that what happened was, I remember the release of, of uh, E3 when, when the PS3 was announced. Their teaser trailer for, like, the new processing power was a fully high-res high reanimation of the opening scene of FF7 where Cloud jumps off the train and yeah. Midgar. And everyone lost their shit. And like, oh, my God. Is this gonna come out this time? A big, I, uh, it's worth noting a, a big, uh, like I would say, um, a big box of gunpowder for this whole movement i think if we can even call it a movement is uh in 2005 when advent children came out the movie yeah that was based on the game or like was a sequel i don't really remember i did watch it which is weird i haven't seen it yet i've only seen bits and pieces of it i watched Um, it like when it came out in 2005 (laughs) having not played final fantasy 7 or knowing anything about it which is really bizarre but um i just remember that came out and immediately like every forum that i was on at the time was just like oh my god but what if the the whole game looked like this like what if you could right. play final fantasy 7 again and it looked like this and then the ps3 thing happened yeah yeah and like so yeah basically like that was a big thing but even uh, alongside that too you had can't forget dirge of cerberus on the ps2 <laughs> uh-huh. but there was a lot of uh there was a lot of spin-off stuff there's a lot of spin-off games cloud was showing up in smash brothers in 2014 he was in um, kingdom hearts a huge deal he was in kingdom hearts uh one and two which honestly like the role. story of cloud and sephiroth and kingdom hearts i think two 
plays a little bit like a sequel to Final Fantasy VII, which is bizarre. Yeah, I honestly, Cloud has like one of the more interesting plot lines in that game. Yeah, uh, <laughs> absolutely. Anyway, um, the hype was very much kept alive, and like that was always the dream for me. I never really needed it. I cherished the original so much, and like wasn't. I, I, it just felt so precious to me that like I almost was scared to watch Evan Children or to play Dirge Cerberus or to like because something about the just I mean this is probably unfair because I haven't played or watched them but like I just felt like what I really loved about the original didn't seem like it was being replicated in the spin-off material around it mm-hmm. it didn't seem like the thing that it's it's almost like uh how people often talk about like the Star Wars prequels missing what made Star Wars great originally yeah uh, to a lesser degree that's just how I was worried I was going to feel with all the spin-off stuff and I was like I don't need a remake if they ever make it fine I've even said that on this show like well into the early episodes I was like if they make it cool if they don't I don't I don't need it I like the original it's always there for me <laughs> I don't need I don't need a fancy uh, high res cloud I like my weird Lego Playmobil cloud yeah um anyway that changed when uh E3 I think 2018 2019 2019 E3 2019 happened and they released like more footage and it was it was it was unreal. It just looked so fucking amazing. It was yeah. just like that trailer was unbelievable. That trailer is my favorite video game. It's just like <laughs> it's the best. It could not have done a better job just advertising the game in every way. It was really like they just nailed like what the the design of the characters and how they were interacting and and the sense of atmosphere everything was just there. It's it's hard to put into words, but like yeah, and that, that was the catalyst me, was for like, me playing the game that was that was the reason that i ended up playing the original in the first place was that trailer got me so excited for the first time about that game and uh, and after that trailer i like i've as i've said before i became a a fallen priest of hype where i was just (laughs) like i bought but I yep. uh, I pre-ordered. I bought the game twice by accident. I well, not by accident. I panic bought it digitally, but I had already pre-ordered the physical one. So now I just I have a Shinra ID card right here. Check it out. I got the art book. <laughs> Steven just showed and, me the Shinra ID card just for yeah, those of you listening at home. It's a visual medium. This podcast. Uh, <laughs> But yeah, I just, I completely was just all in, so excited. Uh, cannot be like more excited for a game this year. And then I started to get worried. I didn't really, I didn't really communicate this with you, but I started to get the pre-show jitters where I was like, oh, what if it's bad? What if it's like, you know, what if it's, you know, and and again, like I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have been devastated. I wouldn't have been mad, but I would have been disappointed. Yeah, totally. Um, You know, buying a game twice and all, (laughs) I would have been disappointed (laughs) that I, you know, could have spent my money elsewhere. But what I wanted from it was just like, I honestly really was invested in what they were going to do that was different. I really wanted this game to have its own identity, which is why I want I bounced off the term remix. I'm like, yes, yes, you're using FF7 and 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 the intention of this game seems to really be to like give this story a second shot. Like it's it feels like cuz a lot of people who are working on this remake on on Final Fantasy 7 remake are both people who worked on the original game alongside people who were inspired by the game when it came out. Right. So it's this really beautiful union of people that like were formative in creating the original and people who like wants to make the remake because they love the original so much. So I, I was I was optimistic. I, I, I was worried because I, I'm so emotional 
emotionally invested, but I was like, it's probably going to be a good experience. If it's if it's anything like the trailer show, I'm just going to enjoy being with these characters that I love so much. So what I wanted was like just sort of like another chance to experience that setting and those characters. Um, and on that front, I think they completely succeeded. Uh, I think that, you know, I have I have more nuances within that, but I think in terms of capturing the characters and sort of like having a game that's focused on being immersed in a setting, I think they did an incredible job. And it's really fun. It's a really fun game. It's, it's like weirdly hard, but it's very fun. <laughs> uh, and the combat system is like really fresh and new and probably will be the thing that like has the biggest impact. I don't think this game is going to have the impact the original had. I don't think anything will like truly like that's like, I mean, I, I, I would say the say last that. time a, a video game had that kind of impact would be like Call of Duty 4. Yeah, or like... I just I mean, mean in terms of like shaking up a medium. Sure, sure, sure. But I mean, even even outside of games, I think like FF7 also is one of those things that kind of made like JRPGs more popular in the West. Oh, yeah, uh, yeah. As right. well as like... You know, it just it just it just changed a lot. But yeah, I know exactly what you mean. But yeah, I think, I think the remake has mostly like just knocked it out of the park with what I was looking for. And like you said, there are some things that do absolutely get in the way. Um, but I'm 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 loving the experience. It's just it just I'm in a very weird emotional place right now with like what's happening in the world and I just moved and like it was like recently like three friends of mine's birthdays and my birthday is coming <laughs> up. So it's like weird celebrations and loss and change happening all around me. Yeah. And then I play the remake and it's like kind of like a beautiful mess is like my elevator pitch mm -hmm. is like it is a glorious, beautiful mess that like mostly lands six the landing. Um, yeah. I will say too, like, you know, because we're not we're not critics. We're not here to put our opinion on a pedestal. We're just talking about something we really like. I do think this game was basically impossible to make. I don't think there was any any reality where they remade Final Fantasy seven and it was as good as it is here. I think like yeah. this was basically an impossible task that nothing they could have done would make everyone happy. And they somehow did mostly the impossible with like a few brutal like slips. It's like watching yeah. a gymnast do like uh, impossible twists and turns and pirouettes in the air and like break a few toes, but like sick the landing. Yeah, uh, the, you know, that's that's um, how I would describe it. I uh, I am I am an employee of Marvel Entertainment. Anything I say and do is not reflect the views of my employer, but just my own whatever stuff like that. Um, that's how very much how I feel about the Avengers movies, specifically Infinity War and Endgame. Like I would weirdly compare the ability to pull off Final Fantasy VII remake to the ability to pull off Infinity War and Endgame, saying you're gonna have fifty eight different characters and you have to make that story make sense in two yeah. hours <laughs> like no that's a really like it doesn't make the, any the, sense yeah the the amount i totally agree like i end game was a movie that like i had some some issues with but like i was more amazed that they like managed to create a mostly satisfying ending to 10 years of movies 22 uh, movies just an unbelievable amount of characters and a coherent yeah. story is like yeah. with pretty good acting also um, and like you said, all that. it's an impossibility. And, and that's what this game feels like to me. Yeah. It, it, and I'm just like, I, I think what you said earlier about kind of filling in the blanks, like this is a game that made a huge impact uh, 23 years ago, continues to make a big impact. Yeah. 
And because of the way the original is structured, everyone has sort of different versions of the characters in their head. Yeah, it's like reading Harry Potter and then watching the movies. It's like right. it's not exactly what you think it is, but man, is it close. Yeah, and, and I'm, I'm, enjoying, I'm enjoying it a lot for that. Um, and I think that like, I truly don't even know, like what, if I, if you set me down and said like, what would I do differently? Like, I think on a concrete mechanical level, there's a lot of nuances and a lot of like direction and like stuff we can, we can criticize and and that I would want different. But like in terms of just broad strokes, like they, they pretty much nailed it. So I think that's, that's might be a good way to end this part of the episode, unless you have anything more to say before we go into like more specifics. I was going to talk about what I wanted from the video game. (laughs) (laughs) Now that I've said what I wanted, I'm too tired to speak another whisper. (laughs) Why don't we curl up and call it a day? Um, Um, I'm so sorry. It's okay. Please go ahead. The thing that I wanted mainly, uh, weirdly enough, is kind of what you just described for Resident Evil 2. Resident Evil 2 having a remake and saying, like, you can point at that and that's the one that you should play now. Yeah. Um, I was kind of hoping that that would be the case with this one initially when they first announced it. As someone who at that point had not played Final Fantasy 7, it was like, oh, I can just sit tight and not have to play the original with the weird polygons and the strange uh, the strange art and backgrounds and stuff, and I can just wait until this incredible Advent Children video game comes out, uh, and then I can just play that instead. Great, I'm going to do that. Um, yeah. And then we started getting some more concrete information about how they were splitting it up into parts, even though it was being split up into parts. It was still going to be like a quote-unquote like full-length JRPG-length game. Um, there were a lot of like things here and there that kind of alluded to the fact that they were going to be changing stuff pretty dramatically um and that was when my my hope for this shifted from i want to play this instead of the original to i want them to take the biggest swings possible um my my main concern i would say going in uh and i think we can talk more specifically about this uh when we get into specifics uh but yeah my main concern was that they were going to pad out what is probably five to six hours of gameplay in the original uh, into 40 or, or 50 via just like really like bad nonsense kind of side quest like plotless trash in a way yeah um i was really worried that it would be a lot of like fetch questy garbage kind of like mmo shit and i found that to mostly not be the case it is the case sometimes but it's mostly not the case uh which again is miraculous I am, I would say, 14 to 16 hours into this game at this point, and I would say maybe two hours of that so far have been times where I was doing a side quest where I was like, I don't know if this is really for me, but I'm going to do it to keep progressing, you know? Yeah, yeah. It's a, it's this, I will, I will save all my thoughts for the second half, but... I will say that in my 14 to 15 hours playing, I have gone from like open, like having to leave the room to sob because of how much (laughs) I loved a moment to going like, what is this? Yeah. Like I like have had both of those extremes and like, I would say in short, the highs of this game far overpower the lows. I totally Uh, agree. Yeah. Like I think that when it, when it clicks, it's like, oh my God. It, it it simultaneously feels like what everyone wanted it to be, and like every now and then winks at what people were worried it was going to be. And like, it's, yes. I had this weird undercurrent of anxiety yeah. while playing this, and maybe it's because I'm just a nervous wreck right now. But like, I did, I'm just always waiting for the ice to break and for me to sink into cold water at one point. <laughs> but like, 
Yeah. It's, I, I mean, like, and people seem really happy with this game who have finished it. Like, the reviews are good. You know, like, people overall seem really, which, like, I was so prepared for this to be, like, a, a such a divided thing. And, and you and I often, like, kind of by default stand, like, in defense of things that kind of get that. Mm-hmm. Um, if we think it deserves it. Yeah. But uh, it seems like everyone's having a great time. So that, that was a relief to me. But, like, you know, I think the moments that matter and and the moments that work are wonderful and i think i think by the end i will be really happy that i that i played it and it just in a good way it makes me want to play the original again it makes me want to like you know experience it and it feels like a celebration of the original in some ways i'm really curious how someone who has like zero experience would feel about this game. Yeah, I think overall too. pretty good, but I, I have no way of knowing. Like, it is so hard for me to... I, I mentioned this to you earlier where we were talking about our different experiences, and I, I said that I was, like, as a baby, dunked in a vat of Mako, basically. Just, <laughs> that's I can't ever take that out of the equation of, like, what I'm going into this with. Yeah. But I think, I think like, mechanically, it's a very fun game. I think, like, it would probably at least stir an interest in checking out the original, but I have no idea. I I uh I really don't. Yeah. I yeah, maybe we should wrap this bit up and then move on. Yeah. I would say though it's like I think it is objectively a really good game. I think it's very fun and I think I'm just cuz I think the things that are really landing for me are heightened by the fact that I'm going into this feeling like my friends are on camera. You know, like mm-hmm. I'm like I'm I'm just so happy it's working out. And I and I I would wager that this is probably a good intro to the game if someone's like really n- like unfamiliar with older systems or is like weary of like going through the more archaic nature of it. Like I think this might be a cool game to check out, you know, and then and then if 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 you're interested, check out the original. I could see that being the case, yeah. but I also like I think I would have to wait until I finished it to know if it's like one of those things that you should do first or after. Yeah, um, this is one so. of the rare moments or one of the rare episodes of this podcast where I've listened to other podcasts about this game first yeah. before we've recorded. I'm usually very hesitant to do that because I don't want to like subconsciously parrot other people's opinions yeah, on a show. Absolutely. Um, right. But I listened to the Waypoint episode about this uh, uh-huh. that was really, really great. And I I can't recommend that episode of their podcast enough because they they get really into um, some of the more like I, I would say problematic things about the original yeah. Final Fantasy VII and like how they're represented here. Um, and and I think that all of that is like extremely worth talking about. I don't know if you and I are the people who can like right right who right, can stand absolutely. on the mountaintop yeah. and speak for uh, groups of people. Um, but right. but anyway, I would recommend listening to that episode. But the main takeaway that I I think has really stuck with me um, about their view on this is that it's an adaptation, not a remake. Um, This this is literally like taking, I I think the way they phrased it was, this is taking your favorite comic book and turning it into a movie. The comic book is still there uh, and, and is perfectly represented you can go check it out at any point um just because i think the 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 example they use was just because uh zach snyder's watchman exists doesn't mean alan moore is is gone um right you can you can go check that out um so i i think that's great i think that i think that's a really great thing uh and and i do think that if you play this game if you play final fantasy 7 remake and you get to the end of it and you're like man i really want to check out the rest it is very literally like finishing season one of game of thrones and wanting to know what happens next and instead of waiting for season two you read the books like that is literally what the what this is like Um, yeah exactly and i would recommend doing that that's an incredible analogy and i think too like i was talking with a friend about how like 
the time in which the original came out, like video games were almost a different medium. So that that yeah. analogy of adaptation is is so apt. And that like it, you're already changing the the tone of the game by by having the characters be realistic. Like that alone is making the story different. Yes. I do think though that in the original, like the polygons are in adjustment, but like the character models in battle, I think still look pretty decent for PS1. And like I'm in pretty, some of the I was fully, pretty surprised by the in battle. Yeah graphics of that game which is an interesting choice to like have them look more cartoonish while exploring and talking but in battle they look more realistic um yeah which might have been a limitation thing where like okay we'll make them look cool where it counts when it's like all you know yeah fists and yeah what, what it does is make battling more harrowing and kind of scary uh which, yes. which is what it should be yeah exactly um so and i think there are some cutscenes that still like for the ps1 are really impressive I and mean, there's that famous one where clouds on the motorcycle and you know yeah that that at the time was like oh my god fuck this is so cool. it's weird that we can't talk about what happens in the original now because now it's spoilers again <laughs> yeah yeah wait two decades and and uh, and you still uh still don't know how disc one ends right That's no not spoil i here's the thing it hasn't been spoiled for me but i have a, a pretty big hunch okay um uh, I, th- I think i know what happens but i'm not gonna say it uh in yeah, case yeah. i'm wrong but i i don't for sure know what happens no okay good i'm trying to keep you safe at all costs because yeah. like it is so easy to find it is it is the literal like i'm your father like it's so known yeah that like i i i need to keep you safe but i'm glad i'm glad you I'm glad you have a hunch, but I'm glad it hasn't been spoiled for you. Yeah, um, what I'm excited for is when I finish remake part one, and then I can go and play the rest of the original. Um, I think that's going to be great because I'm going to experience yeah. it via the original. And the thing too is like you're you're what 16 hours into uh, the remake. That's about the length of the first disc. Like I think like the first disc of FF7 is like 20 hours. Yeah. The whole game is like 40. If you stick to the critical path. Yeah. And I'd love to talk more about that in the second part of like time, you know, <laughs> like how, how it goes by. Yeah. But no, like it, it is interesting because I don't, even though like uh, there are some side quests we can talk about, like I don't think the FF7 remake feels like off pace. I think it, it's paced pretty well. Like I feel like yeah. I, I, I don't feel like it's a slog or like they're really stretching things out too much. I will say right now, I think that, the remake is this weird ballet between being scenes are either like a one to one. This is exactly what happened in the original. Yes. Or this is completely new or somewhere in the middle. And I would say it's most successful when it's in the middle. I think to me, it's very emotionally jarring to go like, Oh my God, I know exactly what this scene is. I know exactly what they're going to say to like, Hey, here's a new character with a mullet. It's like, what? (laughs) I think when they, when they like, I think it's most successful when they have a moment that is from the original, but they change up the dialogue or they, or they change up some of the camera work or whatever. Yeah. That's when I think it feels the most immersive for me. Yeah. I I think we should, uh, hold off on talking about that more until we can get into specifics because I have a lot of thoughts on that specifically. Yeah. yeah. Um, but what I will say just about the pacing in general, personally, I feel that this game is paced significantly better than the original. Um, <gasps> yeah. Sorry. No, I, I, I think sorry. You, I think, I'll say it. Let me. Let me. I think it's kind of true. I think it's also like. Door. I think for for the era this game is coming in or coming out in and like also the fact that this whole game the remake is like I mean yes it's the Midgar section but the game itself is 40ish hours like 
that is ironically on the shorter side for for JRPGs yeah. these days. Like we just talked about Persona recently, and like every Persona game is like at least ninety hours if you like rush it. Yeah, right. <laughs> you know. So uh, and that's I think I think games like Persona that have that sort of life sim aspect, like a la Stardew Valley, Three Houses, or Animal Crossing, even just time passes faster because so much of it mechanically is about like budgeting and, and i think as you said last episode it has that kind of like just one more day aspect of it mm-hmm. um whereas this is like more cinematic in nature so like moments feel like they are lasting longer than they are yeah um right not in a, not in a oh this is taking forever way but just in like a emotional weight way yeah um should we move on let's move on to animal crossing goodbye goodbye Steven, uh, we're in the break because it's time for a little segment we like to call. I can't believe we're doing it. We're such a fucking podcast. Living a little. Living a little. Oh. I'm not going to scream every time. Yeah, this is, yeah. A, this is we're recording this episode at night for once. Uh, yeah. Also, Steven just I mean, moved into a new place and doesn't want to scream at the top of his lungs, maybe, for his downstairs yeah. neighbors. Yeah, now I'm the top floor. Times have changed. I'm in charge now. Uh, and I don't want to immediately just like curse the building. Yeah. Um, this is also like my old place was like a haunted duplex. This place is like an actual like city apartment building with like a lot of people in it. Mm-hmm. So I can make a lot of enemies with the wrong jingle. You know what I mean? <laughs> uh, so <laughs> choosing my notes uh, wisely. Yeah. Um, so it has been almost a month since Animal Crossing came out, I think. So good. Something like that. Some Somehow. Maybe? Has it been almost a month? I don't know. Something like that. It came out March 20th. March 20th. Uh, so yeah, it's, I mean, by the time this episode comes out, it will be close to a month. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Uh, also, the Saturday of this episode coming out is Steven's birthday. Just a heads up, dear listener. Oh my God. It's also Piper's birthday from Animal Crossing. That's right. <laughs> the seagull. Uh, uh, anyway, so uh, this video game... I think, uh, first of all, I, I think I could say pretty definitively, I think this is the best Animal Crossing game at, yeah, at this point. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I think we've reached the point, as we talked about on the episode uh, where this came out, I, th- I think we've reached the point where uh, this game has now reached kind of its its pinnacle in a way. Um, we, we talked a lot about how it ends where the other Animal Crossing games begin, uh, where you have like a fully kind of formed town and, and shops and things like that, um, which are usually usually the things that you start with in the in the old Animal Crossing games. The one big hitch in this whole thing for me the whole time has been Bunny Day. <laughs> yeah, you're not alone. The Easter is, event yeah. has been like so widely decried by the community and like I'm in so many group chats about this game. I'm in like the Discord one, like our Discord one. Uh, I have a huge one for everyone at Marvel who plays Animal Crossing. Uh, we're all constantly talking. I'm in like another Slack channel about it. Uh, I'm just like constantly talking to people about Animal Crossing and I have not seen like a single positive thing about Bunny Day pretty much anywhere. Uh, it's over now, which is great. But f- I didn't realize that in the course of Bunny Day, which it should be noted uh, for those of you who don't play Animal Crossing, Bunny Day was a, I think, 10 day event. Um, it was it was I don't remember when it started. Oh, no, it was it was April 1st all the way through April 12th. And it started with a, a bunny named Zipper showing up on your island saying nightmare yeah saying that he hid eggs all over your island and that you had to find them and collect them and then turn them into furniture and if you were able to make all the furniture he would give you a gift on bunny day which was april 12th what that meant was 
that anytime you shook a tree, eggs might come out instead of sticks. Uh, anytime you chopped a tree or hit it with like a, a stick or something, uh, eggs would come out instead of wood. If you hit a rock with with, uh, with an axe, uh, instead of like iron and stone coming out, eggs would come out. Sometimes when you tried to dig up a fossil, you'd get an egg instead. Uh, if you went fishing, sometimes you'd get an egg instead of a fish. And sometimes when you shot down a balloon, you'd get an egg instead of like a gift from the sky. What this meant was that Animal Crossing had been invaded by, a, a, I would say, a malicious presence. Uh, the game was cursed by this fucking rabbit. Uh, and actively, if I'm being totally honest, maybe like, I don't think you and I said a single negative thing about this video game when it first came out in the episode no, about it. Um, no. With the exception of we didn't like picking up sticks and even that was like kind of a goof. I think this is the first bad thing about the video game was Bunny oh, Day. Oh yeah, yeah. I found what I didn't realize until today, April 13th, when we're recording this, uh, the first day post Bunny Day, um, when I was able to go fishing and not have to worry about eggs, when I was able to dig up fossils, not have to worry about eggs, uh, when I could be excited about the sound of a balloon floating overhead because I knew it wasn't an egg balloon. It, it occurred to me that I had changed the way I was playing this game for the entire month of April um, so far, which is really wild, I think, to have gotten an event that wrong. But also, at the same time, like as, as negatively as I feel about Bunny Day, I love the community aspect of it. I, oh, I love yeah. how much everyone hated it. It was weirdly, like, really really fun for everyone to constantly be dunking on egg day it almost brought the community together more i think than if it had just continued being regular animal crossing like i've said like we talked about last time about how you need one or two nightmare villagers on your island to keep things interesting mm -hmm. i think every now and then there needs to be like a really bummer bogus party that happens on your island and you're like oh like I want it's the negative space in which the good stuff stands out. Yes. Um, that being said, I never want a day to happen again <laughs> or bunny day because it's like, yeah, you, like the game is the game is is collecting stuff. Like if you had to boil it down to one mechanic, the game is like gathering things. Yes. Yeah. So to replace like it felt like at least 40 percent of everything became eggs. And even when you talk to people. They had a 50-50 chance of talking about Bunny Day. Right, you would try and talk to your villagers about literally anything, and yeah. instead they would tell you about like how you could hit a rock and get an egg instead, and they were stoked about it. Yeah, so now that that's... Uh, and honestly, I haven't played... like it, It's the first time I didn't play on Bunny Day out of spite, uh, mostly because I was moving and I had to unpack everything, mm -hmm. but like I haven't played in a few days. I'm excited to return to New Jersey, my island. But other than other than Bunny Day, what has been new uh, in your in your Animal Crossing world? Um, I hit I hit the point that you hit where I had KK Slider show up at my town, which unlocked the ability to start terraforming and like building paths and things like that, um, which I think has been really, really, really special. I am now starting to lock into the point where the ability to place furniture outdoors is starting to I think kind of percolate more in my brain and I'm starting yeah. to like formulate some like really interesting ideas for things that I can build outside out of furniture um and a lot of that is is due to like visiting other people's islands um I'm like in the in the Animal Crossing New Horizons subreddit and like following hashtags on Twitter and things like that um, so I'm like seeing a lot of kind of like design inspiration in this game, which I think is great. Like my entire like Twitter bookmark section is all screenshots of Animal Crossing things that I like and want to make myself, um, which I think is really cool. I I 
find personally, at least based on the discussion that I've seen online outside of the Bunny Day stuff, which I think is like was pretty rough and like deservedly was dunked on. Um, I'm finding that the community, how do I put this? Like the, the, the most vocal part of the community that I've seen so far has been very negative about, uh, some of the UI elements and some of the ways that the game is played in terms of like talking to villagers or like talking to, uh, different characters. Like we had the first fishing tournament over the weekend that was on Saturday. Um, that, that was the, the spring fishing tournament. So the next one is going to be, I think in, they said in July, but whenever you talk to the, the, uh, the person who was running the fishing tournament, CJ, uh, they had a lot of dialogue pretty much anytime you wanted to do the fishing tournament, there's a lot of dialogue you had to click through. And a lot of people were really frustrated by that. And, and I found personally like I, that I had read a lot of those complaints that like, Oh my God, CJ won't stop talking. All I want to do is do the fishing tournament. Um, and I'm like trying to bang this out and, and like complete all this stuff. But like, it just sucks that every time I talk to him, it takes a really long time. And then I read all of that and then went to go play it and found myself having like an absolutely splendid time. And I thought it was great. And I had such a cool time with the exception of the fact that I was finding eggs instead of fish when I was fishing (laughs) in the fishing tournament, which was endlessly frustrating. That's the thing. It's like, I think, I think I understand like play Animal Crossing any way you want. And I understand the sort of completionist aspect of it because there are so many goals and you're rewarded for, for completing them. Yes. But it is a game that is meant to just be like a, a day in the life chill out game yes like if it didn't have the quirky dial i mean i know that they're not saying that it shouldn't have dialogue but i think that if you didn't have blathers explaining to you what bugs are while he's creeped out by them or you had your villagers just saying weird stuff to you it wouldn't be animal crossing yeah you know i totally you're agree. not there to like get a grocery list checked off you're there to just hang out with weird beavers to talk about their stream that's literally a river that's what we want yeah you know yeah absolutely i completely agree i I understand I understand playing this game and wanting your island to look the way that you envision it in your head. Um, but I think the brilliance of this game's design is that it asks you to wait to achieve that so that yeah. so that when you get it, it feels all the more rewarding, um, which is, I think, where people kind of like go back and forth on time traveling. We're like, is that OK or is that not OK? Sure. Um where I where I start to falter there is like, okay, so time traveling, I personally feel is totally fine. Um, but the game itself was designed to not have that. And the game itself was designed to uh, try and ask you to like enjoy your surroundings and enjoy your experience and not like min max the video game. Um, yeah. Because you can't min max your life. I mean, you can, but you should probably shouldn't for your own mental no. and physical well-being yeah um and and that that i think is where this uh I, I think that's where this um complaint kind of rubs me the wrong way a little bit that said there are places where it should happen like if you're trying to visit somebody yeah. else's island and you're talking to to the dodos like that is an absolutely infuriating menu i think to, yes. to yeah. go through um but Something like talking to the fishing tournament person because you're trying to get, I think it was 300 points in the fishing tournament, which is supposed to happen over the course of like an entire year and not in one Saturday. (laughs) Um, I I don't have as much sympathy, I think, there. I mean, conversely, like I, the last time I played, I I was like, because I found myself getting stressed by some of the like, Oh, I have to do all this stuff in this game that's supposed to be relaxing. Mm. You know, I talked. I talked about my friend Chris, who kind of said he was like he felt like he joined a rat race inadvertently. Yeah, I didn't feel that as strongly, but I I felt that in moments. So what I did, I was also packing for a move. So I was like, I'm just gonna leave this on in the background. 
I like the music. I like the water sounds. Yeah. Uh, so I sat on a bench in I what I did. You know, I unlocked the ability to terraform. I haven't really terraformed anything, but I've been building a lot of paths. Okay? Yeah, your town is uh, gorgeous. Oh, thank really you. Really pretty. Stop it. New Jersey is a great state and island. Mm-hmm. Anyway, uh, I made like a cobblestone street leading from the uh, from the airport to the town square. And there are little roads leading to the tailors and shops and other things. Yeah. And I just sat on the bench by the fountain. I also have like a little kind of uh, there are two. There's a snack machine and a soda machine and a bench and a light. And I was just sit- sitting by the fountain just to have like ambiance in the background. And what I saw was uh, my newest resident, my 10th and final villager, Coach. Uh, the jock bull, big Aries energy. Yeah. Or maybe he's a ram who has like a five o'clock shadow. He walked over, did a hello greeting and just plopped down in the flowers. First, he was smelling the flowers and watering them. And then he sat down and just sat with me listening to the fountain in the background. Zucker, the octopus literally used the snack machine. I didn't even realize they could do that. But the things I placed there, yes. just to kind of have aesthetic value, they were using like it had utility. He, he watched the snack drop and did a joy react. Elvis, the grumpy lion, came over and started fishing and then the bull got up and they were fishing together. Like, this sounds like, okay, cool, big deal. But like, the world is so alive. And if you like slow down and just take a second to enjoy what you've already done and, and see that the villagers, well, not only will they talk about it, will they be like, hey, the thing you built is really cool. Like, I'm glad we have a bridge now or I have a new incline. They'll be using it. And like, that little detail seeing the the villagers like go to the town square and like sing or like race each other or like lift weights like Mm -hmm. it makes it feel so much more alive than if they just like stood by their house all day and waited for you to talk to them so you can do a quest for them like they're all doing their own thing and i think it's just like like again play it every any, any way you want but i think it's important to both in the game and weirdly in life to just like take value from what you've already done yeah. versus what you have to do next. Yeah, it's, it's I, the Ferris like, Bueller quote. Yeah, Life moves pretty which fast. Is if what? you don't stop and look around once in a while, you might miss it. That sounds like something Coach would tell me, and I love it. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's, I mean, I, I, we talked earlier about like a game that had the impact FF7 did. I mean, I don't think New Horizons has that kind of level of like ushering a new thing but i do think it's one of the biggest like i think this is like one of the most important game releases in a while like we touched on last time yeah and i think this is also like gonna have a big influence on nintendo and on a lot of other video games like in the near future for sure yeah in a good way yeah i totally agree i have more that i could say but uh we shouldn't because this is the final fantasy 7 remake episode technically um take stock in what you've already said yeah we'll <laughs> we'll talk about it in the in the uh bonus episode about animal yeah. crossing which is this month so that's exciting um yeah but it's 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 so great and i, I like checking in because i think that's the most that's the biggest sell for me on the game is like the the just every day being its own new experience. Yeah. Um, I, I've had to slow myself down because I think we both finished the critical path like pretty quickly. Yeah. So I'm now just enjoying like and letting those moments of inspiration find me rather than rather than chasing them. Yeah. Yeah. Figured it out, man. <laughs> Dude, like time. Uh, well, that's it for uh, this segment. Living a little. Uh, do we sing it backwards to end it? <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, boy, yeah. <laughs> All right, see ya. It's hard to sing uh, the notes of the prelude to FF7. Uh, Actually, all Final Fantasies, they all have that. 
or most of them do at least. Oh my goodness. Now we got to talk about the nuances and the details we were putting <laughs> off. Um, yeah, I, I would say, um, before we, before we start talking, I would say, um, if you don't want any spoilers about anything uh, <laughs> regarding Final Fantasy VII Remake at all, um, now is probably a good time to stop. If you are not too concerned about spoilers, we are going to talk about the first, I would third. say, yeah, just like close to half, I would say, of the game, yeah. maybe. I think, I think there's something like 24-ish chapters, and I'm on nine Oh, okay. Um, yeah, I'm on eight. But yeah, yeah, something like that. Uh, so yeah, we're we're gonna be talking about um, for those of you who have played Final Fantasy VII up to Wall Market. Yeah. Um. So yes, exactly. So that's where we're gonna cover. Uh, I have not yet gone to that chapter, but <laughs> I played the original. I know what happens. Mm-hmm. Although I think what we'll discuss, even though I know what happens, I'm sure that they've added and changed some things, but I'm they open sure to have. hearing that unless yeah. there's like a big, like, cause the, there are some things like I, I've, I've purposely avoided spoilers for the ending of this part, but that's what I keep hearing is like a big deviation, which I'm excited to see a little bit nervous, honestly. Yeah. Uh, but I can't, I can't spoil that for myself. So, uh, that will, even knowing that is kind of weird, but like that was unavoidable. You like Google the game and it's like the shocking ending. Okay, cool. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you're going to love Walmart. I am sure I will. I, I, uh, that, that is one of the most memorable parts for better and for worse of the original. Yes. Uh, I guess, do you want to just like go through it? Like, uh, from, is that the easiest way to do this? Like maybe honestly, yeah. like start with what what's covered in the demo and then kind of make our way on. Yeah. Is that the best framing device for it? Unless you, unless you want to like jump in to something you really want to say first. Not but really. I, think, I don't, I don't have anything too specific, uh, to like, I wouldn't mind some framing device to kind of like guide us through this part. Yeah. Absolutely. We, don't, we don't have to just say like everything that happens, but we can just like, progress in the general order of the plot yeah I, th- um, I think we do that and we see where it takes us yeah totally so yeah we'll, we'll just go through like the the broad strokes of the story so far so um the demo pretty much covers the the first chapter i guess yeah you're taking out the uh mako react mako reactor number one yeah um you as cloud have been hired by a, a military adjacent uh, terrorist, eco-terrorist organization called Avalanche, uh, specifically a cell of Avalanche, who have decided that they want to stick it to Shinra Corp, which is the, uh, the like big bad, the the all-seeing, all-evil corporation that kind of rules the, the world? Is it the world or just Midgar? They have their, like, they have their grasp on the world, but the palm of their hand is like Midgar is okay. their city. Yeah. Uh, but they have like, you know, you see their army elsewhere and stuff. Yeah. Uh, they're, they're electric company that like is the government and the military and like the media of the city. Right. And you know, their presence is elsewhere as they refer to like later on. They, one of the things that they've really added, uh, is this war or looming war with Wu Tai, mm-hmm. um, which is where Yuffie is from. And I'm actually excited to see how that plays out because in the original game, Yuffie and Vincent were both optional party members. And like the way to get Yuffie is so like, you would not ever know unless you had a strategy guide. It's like go into the woods right outside Midgar and hope you encounter her randomly as an enemy. Don't, attack run away and then it'll go to a cutscene where you have to say the right dialogue options otherwise she takes all your material like i think they might introduce her in a way in the second part where she's like 
you know, integral fighting to on the behalf plot. of, yeah. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> you know, you know, integral to the plot, which yeah. I think would be cool because then that character deserves more. But anyway, that, that is something that, that was sort of like addressed early in the story that I, that I wanted to comment on. In, in addition to the fact that this is a cell of Avalanche, which we'll discuss later because yeah. I have some thoughts on that, but. Yeah, so you take out the first uh, Mako reactor. Uh, it's worth noting Midgar as this like kind of, um, I wouldn't say steampunk. It's magic punk, I guess, technically. Uh, this like this uh, like technologically advanced esque uh, fantasy setting, in which it's a gigantic city that is uh, very literally like there's a stratification between um, the rich and the poor. In that the the rich live on this like top layer that are called plates. There's I think three plates that hold up the the rich section of of the city, and then there's a poor section which they refer to in the game as the slums, which is everything under that essentially, where like all the all the just like trash and stuff kind of has fallen from the top, or like any scrap metal or whatever that has just kind of fallen from the top. Um, they have fashioned into houses and sectors and uh, whatever and running all of this the power source that everybody uses to run the entire city and I guess the world is Mako which um, is I think I, I think if I was to guess as somebody who hasn't played the, the game fully um, is essentially like uh, harnessable magic it's like it's like a it's like a tangible version of magic that they're converting into a power source that's being used around the world Avalanche as the terrorist organization uh, wants to prevent Shinra from using up all the Mako it it is it is a not so um it is a not so subtle allegory for for just like global warming in general uh which yeah. was kind of uh no pun intended heating up in 1997 uh when that game came out and has only you know gotten worse over time yeah so and that, now is like kind of the perfect time to re-release this game and that's i think like this this game the reason of remaking this game obviously is because it's extremely popular and like it's a good opportunity to for them financially but i think i think there's more artistic integrity behind them wanting to do it again because i think that now the technology exists for them to like i think do what they wanted to do initially honestly like we spoke on on the game's limitations earlier you know in the hardware of ps1 but i feel like the ambitions were so visible with that game of like pushing the hardware to its like fullest extent uh, yeah. of what it could do. Um, so I think that there was always a desire to revisit that story. And like you said, I think it could not be more timely right now. The first mission in the demo, the only thing that's different is they, they are, they do this thing throughout the game and, and they do one scene in the game. That's not in the demo where there's a flashback of Tifa as a kid, a cloud keeps getting hit by the, that happens in the original game where like there'll be a ringing in clouds ear and he'll hear another voice. Um, it, they pretty much right away set up the fact that cloud is not a reliable narrator yeah. or, you know, like trustworthy in terms of information about his own life. You cannot really trust what he's saying. Mm -hmm. And this, I think the remake does that even better. I think like the, the interwoven memories of like both him talking to himself or memories of Tifa and him as kids is really well done. And I think it, it I think it's, that's actually one of the things that I think someone new to this story would appreciate seeing. The other thing they do, and they even do this in the first mission, is they introduce Sephiroth a lot earlier. In in the original game, like you only really hear Sephiroth referred to as this like, you know, great war hero. It's it's set up that Cloud is an ex-soldier in all caps, but soldier is 
Shinra's like elite military group. Yeah. Um, where you can tell someone's in the soldier because they have Mako eyes. Uh, they, they've been exposed to Mako enough that it's like kind of changed their biology in a way. Yeah. Kind of Captain America, um, super soldier serum. Yeah. A little adjacent. bit. And Sephiroth yeah. was like, Sephiroth was basically Captain Midgar. Like he's this kind of war hero, uh, that apparently died five years ago, but like cloud is haunted by the memory of there. I haven't gotten to a point where they've elaborated more, but like having played the original, I'm surprised at what they're alluding to with a lot of his scenes. Um, yes. for, I, I literally like I think the villains in this game have always been kind of hammy so like it, it works Sephiroth is a pretty good villain I, I think he uh, serves his role well in the original you don't see him as much in the original as you do here oddly enough yeah uh, in the original game you don't see him in person in the present reality till like near the end of the first disc usually to see where he's been before like one of the most striking moments in the original is like when you leave midgar and you're going into a cave and there's this giant snake in the swamp that you have to learn how to ride a chocobo to run away from and near the entrance of the cave there's just a broken tree with that snake impaled on top of it and they're like oh sephiroth just passed through here yeah. <laughs> like oh, something that i just spent like an hour of my actual life raising a giant chicken horse to escape from <laughs> he just like in a whim destroyed yes uh on his way and so like but the memories work because i think that like you know they're they're setting up something different here that i'm wondering what's gonna turn into but um i think that the first mission and i felt this way in the demo super well done i think that like you said this in our in an earlier episode but the the opening mission in the original game is not really an exciting part of the game at all it's like kind of just a tutorial yeah uh it's very effective in in setting the mood and like like i said earlier usually the first hour uh of a jrpg is chores or a dream final fantasy 8 i love it but it begins with squall going my head hurts in bed (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Whereas seven begins with cloud jumping off a train and fighting two soldiers. Um, I think that, uh, that this game begins really well. Yeah. This game, this game takes what is a tutorial in the original and turns it into like a full on fucking action movie. Like this, this immediately becomes like Sylvester Stallone leading 1981 action film. Um, and, and rules like the entire way, like throughout the entirety of the explosion of the reactor until you have escaped, uh, which it, which is the entirety of the demo is like you, you jump off the train, like iconic shot, look up at, at, uh, the reactor and shit and like Shinra HQ and then, and then take it out. It it explodes. You fight a big boss right before it explodes and you escape. Like that's, that's the demo. Um, what's really fascinating is that, uh, they've added some stuff before and after the demo, I think that isn't in the demo so like if you were to download the demo right now which i would recommend doing if you're listening to this and you haven't checked it out yet uh definitely do that if you if you haven't played the game but the demo opens with an exact recreation of the original opening cinematic uh from final fantasy 7 and then just ends like right as you get out essentially of the reactor the actual game opens with an entire sequence, entire cinematic sequence that happens before the opening cinematic. Which I love. I love that cinematic yeah, you're, so much. You're like panning over Midgar in the daytime. You kind of like see just daily life in Midgar. Yeah. Um, which I think is really 
powerful you don't know it at the time and you're watching it you're just like oh that's different okay whatever yeah. weird um and then pays off i think afterwards because the entire section immediately after you make it out of the reactor is just the the devastation of what you've done essentially yeah i, I have a lot to say about that because they that's another little tweak the remake does where like in the original game you just bomb the reactor and like that's it and yes. like you they deal with the repercussions of it like they watch on the news like that it happened but like this game the the walking through the streets of midgar after you've bombed the reactor feels like the beginning of the last of us where like yeah you're oh, like totally. walking and like is really effective like that might be one of my favorite moments of the game honestly yeah me too um and i think it fills in the gaps in a way that is interesting and it's questioning a lot the, the problem, because, I think, honestly, and this is like one of the very few notes that I took about, about this game as I was playing it, but like I would say the biggest change that is present in the demo, um, for those of you who have played the original, the biggest change is that when you are uh, blowing up the reactor, the explosion is not huge. It's like it's not really enough to take the reactor out for real, for real. And there are higher ups at Shinra who are watching this happen on their security cameras and they take a bunch of their own weapons and use it to like fully blow up the reactor. Yeah. So mm -hmm. Shinra is actually blowing up their own reactor to make the bombing seem worse than it is. And in doing so is like decimating the entire sector around that reactor and like killing a ton of people just like yeah. annihilating like an entire kind of like urban suburban development in the city, um, which is what you walk out of the reactor yeah. into. And you you immediately like are confronted with quote unquote what you've done. But I, I think that honestly, like I was I was really floored by that in the demo. I was like, oh my God, wow, we're like really seeing that Shinra's evil immediately. And now having seen the destruction and the aftermath of it, I almost wish they didn't do that. I almost wish that that wasn't the case because having you question, if you had removed the fact that, that Shinra was that evil immediately and that they had turned it on themselves Themselves to, to make you seem worse than you are. I kind of wish that you had found that out after the fact. If there was some kind of way where you had blown, quote unquote, blown it up, it completely destroyed that sector, and then you had to walk out and see what you did, yeah. I think that that would maybe hit a little bit harder. Because now, when I'm walking through it, it's less of like, oh my god, what did I do? Uh, which is what the characters are saying. It's what the characters in the game are saying. And I want to empathize yeah. with them, but I can't because I have more information than they do. Right. That's a good point. And it definitely loses the fangs of Avalanche a little bit because yeah. like at the same time though I think they're setting up because like in, in the original game yes it's just the normal bomb that's untempered with but Shinra eventually starts doing some like oh yeah media stuff to like so you know it, it introduces Shinra earlier and I think like they probably wanted that moment to be more harrowing but then they were like well for a lot of people they're just meeting cloud who has been kind of like unlikable so far so to have him like be directly responsible for this and being like whatever yeah. but what's really brilliant is like in that moment like you said they're all grappling with it jesse's like like my calculations were set like this shouldn't have happened yeah barrett is kind of making excuses and cloud is for for the tough pseudo kind of like i don't care exterior he gives off is dealing with it the worst he is yeah i mean he's having flashbacks of his hometown burning down which i'm surprised they they did so early yeah um i wrote i also wrote that down there's a there's a moment when you're when you turn a corner and i this might have literally just been the way i was positioning my camera at the time i don't know if this yeah. is a thing that everybody experiences but there's a point when i was turning a corner and i swung my camera around and i immediately saw a bunch of people who were like huddled next to a car and like 
in a split second, as soon as I turned my camera on them, the highway exploded above them and collapsed onto them. Yeah, that was um, a shocking moment, which yeah. I which I didn't. I was like just I was like shell shocked as soon as that happened. Um, and then cloud immediately has a flashback of his uh, hometown burning down in that yeah. moment. Um, and that that to me, that moment by itself, because you you see that peop, you see those people, you see the people get crushed by a highway. Um, and that was like horrifying. <laughs> that was yeah. a horrifying moment. And that that to me really solidified. I, I think that this game was trying to do something a little bit more emotionally resonant than the original was. Um, because that was supposed to be kind of a triumphant moment for you in the original. Uh, yeah. And this just sucks. <laughs> like this just yeah. makes you feel like shit. But I think the, so you, you navigate through all of this and you have, you know, a flashback with Sephiroth, which like, again, I think they're introducing the big bads earlier this time for whatever reason. But you also don't know like what Sephiroth's deal is yet. He's just sort of this like mysterious figment of Cloud's imagination he's a ghost. that keeps. Yeah. He's yeah. a specter. Yeah. It's wild. Um, uh, but eventually you like regroup. And I think the the scene that worked best for me uh, in this whole saga was Barrett's on the train. And like there are three Shinra employees that are like mm, yeah. kind of talking about how horrible it is. And they're like, oh, well, we have to be like complacent. That's the Shinra motto. And like, you know, Barrett kind of scares them off. But in this kind of quieter moment, he sort of mumbles to himself like, we're the good guys, damn it. I'm like, is this so like, yeah, that that to me, like if there's one line that sums up that whole first scene is like, we're, we're supposed to be the good guys. Mm-hmm. Like, why is this so bad? Yeah. Um, yeah, it was, uh, I think that that was so effective and so good. And then returning to sector seven, uh, which is where, you know, Avalanche's hideout is, uh, it's where Tifa's bar, Tifa seventh heaven is that's like their de facto hideout. The first like first, 10 hours of this game were like a dream to me like uh, the the it really was like just hitting all the right notes for me um like that that whole moment was so effective and you know the the team going back to tifa seventh heaven i have to say like while we're getting to this moment in the story if there's one character i think they nailed and like is even better than they were in the original it's tifa i think tifa is like the star of this game yeah, um, for awesome. many reasons uh i think it's like one of the better vo- I, cloud and tifa i think have my favorite vocal performances you're playing with the too, english voice acting correct? yeah 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 i uh i wanted to do japanese originally but it it just defaulted to english and i was like oh, i'll just do this I, yeah i've heard like it doesn't seem like one cast is inherently like better than the other from what i hear so yeah i played the first i would say three-ish hours with the Japanese on and then switched it back to English because a lot of people in Discord were talking about how much they enjoyed the English. So I've, I've been doing that ever since. Um, I might switch it back. I'm not really sure. But anyway. Yeah, I might I might change it around. But yeah, I mean, I think like overall, like the the voice performances are pretty good. I think like it has that uh, classic Final Fantasy thing where like the party has certain performances and then the NPCs are like, hello, I'm from Oblivion. <laughs> That's like... <laughs> uh, yeah. Which I'll I'll get more into that, but um I just think I think the way the scenes with Tifa and the and Cloud in the beginning kind of directly and and more fruitfully like represent the the weird sad tension that was in the original that wasn't as visible. Mm-hmm. Um, there's something so. First of all, you get to you get to the Sector Seven slums, and it has like I think this game has great lighting. There's really 
really well directed lighting in all the areas and, and sector seven does feel like weirdly it would be like in a in a different rpg this is like the first kind of town you stumble into mm-hmm. it's still made of garbage but there's something nicer about this place it feels more like home and yeah. tifa is holding this whole place together everyone you pass is like in love with her for all she's done for the sector yeah and like you know she is is very firmly with avalanche but is also you know because you kind of dealt with this with these multiple philosophies it kind of reminds me a little bit of like in mass effect the sort of paragon versus renegade and like while tifa is firmly anti-shinra probably more than anyone in the game and and we'll get into that later she's also extremely invested in the well-being of of people around her yeah you know as as human beings and with cloud I think she's like really hanging on to this thread of like what their relationship used to be, be it platonic or romantic, but like she knows that there's a person that she cares about underneath this like edgelord persona he's putting on, which the game addresses brilliantly. Like from, from the moment he step, steps on camera, everyone's calling out cloud for not being who he really is. Yeah. Cloud cloud is, Oh man. I mean, he's, he's like, uh, the proto fuck boy. He is like, just <laughs> he's, he's unbearable, unbelievable. And, and so full of himself, you know, like I'm, I'm having, I, I am both having a hard time, um, sympathizing with literally anything that's going on with cloud. And I also like, can't help, but be absolutely amazed by everything he does. Like he, he is such an outlandish character, <laughs> I think, which i i kind of picked up on in the original like they they make that pretty clear in the original that he's like putting up a wall i think between him and other people but in this game he answers every single person with how much are you gonna pay me and it is so funny every time but i think it's successful in when he lets his guard down like you can see that there is like and that's what people want from him I, i think honestly in the first mission one of my favorite moments it's a very quick shot but like as they're escaping the reactor, the bridge blows up and Cloud almost falls off. And Jesse's like, Cloud. And then he like jumps up and she's like, OK, that was pretty cool. And he like kind of blushes a little bit. Like yeah. he gives like a little soft smirk. And I'm like, that's the Cloud we love. Everyone wants to see you blush. Yeah. We don't want to see you go. How much, you know, we don't want you to be Felix. We want you to be the guy you secretly are, mm-hmm. uh, which is similar to Felix. But don't get me started on Felix. Anyway, I think the the scenes with Tifa where like it just feels like two magnets of the same type. There's just that like weird barrier that's separating them. <laughs> yeah. They're sitting a seat apart and she's like really pretending everything is okay. And it's so painful in a, in a good way to watch because it's like this person is amazing and is kind of wasting her time on this guy. But like is also the one character who's like holding everything together. Yeah. Like, right. you know, up until that point, because, you, you know, they flush out the other members of Avalanche a little bit more. And like, which which I enjoy for the most part. I feel like they get a, honestly, I feel like I didn't love all of their additional scenes, mm. um, but I like how they are fleshing them out. I found we'll that, that I wasn't super into them initially. And then over the course of the game, as I was able to spend more time with them it retroactively made me feel better about it it was yeah. like oh i di- i didn't dislike them them at that point i just didn't know them as well you know yeah if there's anyone to flesh out more if you're if you're making midgar the first part it's them because they're you know part yeah. of the ensemble right um and i and i and i like them for the most part 
but I'll get into that. But yeah, the the initial scenes with Tifa joining the group, I just thought were amazing. And like when she joins the team, she's like almost broken. Every any, every enemy just melted in like a flurry of fists, and she's really fun to play as. Yeah, I think you know, we haven't really talked about the combat much yet, but like really fun. I, I almost want to save my thoughts on the combat for later in the story because I think my perspective changed at a certain boss um, mm. in a good way. But, like, I overall really, really like the combat. I think that seems to be what they put the most focus on. Um, yeah, I honestly, having played the demo or or when the demo was over, I was like, and and you'll you could go back and listen to my thoughts on that. But, like, I did not really enjoy the combat, I think, that much in the demo initially. Um, it clicked for me, I would say, halfway into almost at the end. But, like, overall, I was kind of iffy on it, I think. Um, yeah. And when I started playing the the full release, I was like, I don't think when we go to record the podcast episode about this that I'm going to want to talk about the combat. And then that changed very dramatically. Yeah. Like that, yeah. that really has very quickly kind of become the highlight of this game for me is like as much as I love the story. I mean, I really do. I'm having a great time with it. I, yeah. I want to make that clear. I love the combat in this game. I am having every... the best time with it. Yeah. It's so it, it's what holds the experience together, honestly. It's, like I think it's yeah. one of I think the greatest strengths and weaknesses simultaneously. Um, and we haven't really talked about like the structure of this game that much outside of just talking about what the story is. But like the way this game is structured doesn't allow for you to like go grind or like do extra combat if you want to that often, if really at all. Which yeah. I find to be a bummer because for the first time ever, I want to go grind because I just love experiencing the combat so much. It, it is like it's not it's well paced story wise, but it's weirdly placed, weirdly paced gameplay wise. It's and, and very think, railroaded. It's very much yeah. like you are experiencing this part of the game. And then when you're done with that, you're done with it forever and you can't come back here and you move on to the next part of the game. And then yeah. you, and then when you're done with that, you move on to the next part. And like that's kind of a bummer. I think that's like one of I think the bummers of this game is like. I want to go back to seventh heaven. I want to go check that place out again. And I yeah. don't know from where I'm at, if that's ever going to be a possibility. Well, again. I mean, I think I, I wonder if that's an intentional thing. Cause I mean, there's that shot in the beginning of them. Like that's one of the scenes that's one-to-one, which is one of my favorite moments where cloud and bear are talking on the train and cloud is like, well, why don't people leave? If they have it so bad in the slums, why don't they just go somewhere else? And Barrett's like, not everyone has that luxury and some people are, this is their home. Like they have nowhere yeah. to go to. Right. Uh, and they talk about, you know, being stuck on the rails and there's that shot of the train going on. I mean, that's one of the biggest things about the original game is that like you are on the rails for the first five or six hours, and then you get out of Midgar and there's a whole world. So I wonder if like parts two or whatever, how many parts are going to, they're going to be, <laughs> uh, whatever part is after this one is going to be more open in that way. I could see that happening. Um, but we also don't know. Man, but, if part two of this game was an actual open world Final Fantasy VII game, that would be wild. But like, yeah, that would also make sense, as you're saying. Yeah, I mean, I think that's that's it was a purposeful choice, I think, in the original, because like like the citizens of Midgar, you get so used to the world there and like so used to the restriction of freedom. And then when you finally get out, you're like, oh, my God, I can go anywhere. <laughs> this is amazing. Yeah, right. Uh, there are other colors except for green and, and uh, uh, gray and, you know, coffee. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So you get to Sector 7 and Tifa joining the party was a big deal for me. And that's when the side quests open up. And I did all of them. Like, yeah, me too. I could, I could, because the one criticism I heard was like that the side quests are kind of filler. And like, don't get me wrong, you talk to a person who's like, oh, you're new. Why don't you go kill that monster outside? And like, 
really generic stuff but yeah there there is literally one where somebody's like i need you to go kill these two rats and then you go to the place where the two rats are supposed to be and then there are two rats but they're not the rats you're supposed to be killing and then you you have to kill those two rats and then you have to go back to the original person and they say oh go back there again and try again and then you go back yeah. and then you try again and then suddenly the two rats are there like the ones that you're supposed to be killing and then My you kill favorite. them and then you have to go back again and then they're like cool good job and that's the quest is you go yeah. there to do the thing that they ask you to do and you can't and you go back and say I can't do this thing and they say go try again and then you do like that very much is filler but it is still yeah. fun weirdly it, and there's another one where the person's like you need to go to this warehouse to kill a drake the keys in one of the boxes I don't know just smash them all yes <laughs> I was like what <laughs> but but like you said like I was just so like what's really nice is that throughout all of this like there is sort of ambient dialogue with Cloud and Tifa and he's sort of in like I felt myself endearing. I found myself endearing myself to the setting while doing these. Mm-hmm. Um, and there like there aren't too many. There's like five. Like you just do them and you're kind of done. There's even a point though. One of my favorite moments where like one of the quests is you just have to find a bunch of cats. Oh uh, yes, yes, like, yes, yes, yes. Literally, as you finish it, Cloud goes, "This sucks." <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. like, what's really interesting? It's the first time there have been like routine side quests that the the protagonist comments on being routine which is very fascinating to me yeah but, they talk about that a lot in in that segment of the game like whenever you finish some of those or i think when you finish all of them or something tifa is like yeah i mean it's grunt work but you made the community a better place you know which is yeah. very much what she's been doing the entire time that she's lived there and i think right. she's just trying to impart that onto you a little bit but in a yeah. way it is also a commentary on that like very classic you start a jrpg and you have to do shit work uh in in the opening town it is just a little weird to have like it's like you get to sector seven and you have like one opportunity to do all the side quests before you progress forever that that's that's the thing that i have a problem with is like the fact that i can't hop on the train and go back to sector seven and like finish one of the side quests if i wanted to like i think i mean as much as they've lengthened these things i think it would have been nice to have that ability yeah but uh so after you finish all that uh side quest work with teeth also quick shout out to my secret favorite character, uh, Marl, the, land- the landlady. Lord. Yeah. Uh, she is like, if the game doesn't end with her singing ladies who lunch from Sondheim's company, I'll sue Square Enix. <laughs> like she is incredible. I love her. She's like, Hey, uh, Hey, who's this boy you got? Tifa has got a big sword and no skills. Treat her right. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's everyone awesome. like that's the best part about doing side quests is everyone's like, "Hey, Tifa, oh, who's this?" Yeah, <laughs> and that's you know basically like most of the game is people being upset to see that Cloud is next to someone amazing. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, so you, I think, I think also like I just really loved the return to Seventh Heaven. I mean, that's also I think where. Barrett has his really good moments as a character, like him as a father with Marlene. And mm-hmm. like that, that element of his story plays out so well in the original game. Like, I think that that was a cool moment. I think much like Cloud is kind of putting up this like edgelord persona, Barrett is like very obviously like a giant sweetheart and like cares so much about everyone, including Cloud. Yeah. Um, which which is great. I too, uh, we won't get too into it. I think this is what you're alluding to earlier. I, I too share some like hesitation with, with the voice direction of the character. 
Um, yeah, it, it's one of those situations where like the way he was written in the original was already a little bit problematic. And now voicing those lines. Yeah, exactly. The way they were written in 1997 just kind of makes it worse. Like they had a long time to fix those problems and then yeah. chose not to. Um, and the bummer. Yeah, the bummer is like he is a great character with a good story that was localized so oddly yeah. uh, and, and offensively. And I think like the character deserved a, a better second chance. Like I think if in, in remaking this game, that was one of the things like to do right. Yeah. Um, and like, yeah, I mean, like you said, we, you and I are not the ones to like declare it right or wrong, but um, it, it does. It, it is a bummer. I, I don't think it's like hateful or like ruins the experience, but like no, it I is agree. a misstep for sure. Yeah. Um, I just think that like what's good is that in the moments where that character really has like landmarks in his personal story, it's very well done. Mm-hmm. But like in this sort of just like combat lines and stuff, it's like kind of 1997 land. Yeah. Um, <laughs> anyway, um, but I really enjoyed seeing him like reunited with Marlene and, and the like kind of tense debates about like, you know, if cloud is going to do another mission, because what really stands out in this game more than the original is the fact that like they need cloud. They yeah. really need cloud. And there's a moment where like, they're all kind of celebrating the mission and no one wants you in the room. Like you've said, like you're, that was just a one-time thing. You're just there for the paycheck and you're finally facing the repercussions of that. You as a player want to talk to Biggs, Wedge and Jesse and Tifa and Barrett, but like everyone's like, well, this is an avalanche thing. Like wait outside Mm -hmm. and you just have to leave the room. Yeah. Um, I thought that was a really brilliant way to like make you feel that moment. Um, yeah, there, there in the original, there's a head court like you you have to do something with the pinball machine uh, in Seventh Heaven, and then you go down to the Avalanche headquarters. And you get to hang out down there. You don't get to do that in this game. Yeah, which I didn't even really like. I always knew that was their secret hideout, but seeing Barrett like punch in a few numbers to like activate the elevator, like, oh, that was really cool. That's a yeah. very iconic setting. Yeah, and yeah, and I I enjoyed how much they fleshed out Sector Seven. Like I liked the different shopkeepers and like. There's a new character who pops up in various places named Chadley, uh, who is an interesting character. They, uh, they're like trying to gather Shinra data, but you can basically gather like enemy data and battle data for them. And they give you rare materia. In addition, they eventually give you VR that lets you fight summons. Yeah. And And then if you beat the summon, you get the summon. Yeah. Which is cool, and summons are really good in this game, and I didn't even realize the silly DLC I got for buying buttfingers gave me, like, three summons. I have... Oh, uh, no way. What'd you get? Uh, well, I, actually, I think it was the pre-order that got me the summons, but uh, Carbuncle, Cactuar, and Chocobo Chick are all oh, in there now. Cool. Um, so, yeah, I've been using Carbuncle. He's a great little dog. Uh, but you start with Ifrit, and then Shiva is the next one I got. And the way summons work in this is, like... If the battle calls for it, like a summon meter will pop up. And once it's ready, you can summon and they just act as like a an NPC ally. But you can also give them direct commands. And then when their time is up, they do like a big finale. Yeah. Really cool. Uh, I think the reason, just, just speaking on the battle again, like I think the reason the side quest in the beginning and, and throughout the game never feel as bad as they should, given the like style of quest you're given is because of how fun it is to battle. And that is like your one chance to do more of it. Mm -hmm. Um, In addition to like, you know, you're spending more time in my, in, in the two times in the game I've experienced where like 
you're able to do side quests in a slum. It's with uh, Tifa and Aerith. And like, it's kind of a way to like see those characters interact more. Yeah. They could have done it better. Like it wasn't the best way to do it, honestly, but like it works. Like it, I'm so in, I'm so invested in the characters and in the battle system that like, it's just a sort of like vehicle to get you to do that more. Yeah. So it, it ends up being fine. Then eventually this is where I started to worry. Uh, so like once you rejoin avalanche, Biggs, Wedge and Jesse, take you out because uh, they secretly want you to stay and you hop on a motorcycle together, which is a direct reference to the original. Cause like there are like random mini games that pop up throughout the original, which I think is another thing. The game's ambition is very clear that like you're doing a lot of stuff that isn't uh, synonymous with a JRPG or a turn-based RPG in that game. One of which is like a real time hack and slash motorcycle segment. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's near the end of the, when you're escaping the Shinra headquarters in the original game. But here it's, it's, it's just, uh, you, Jesse Biggs and wedge. Um, and it's a nice scene. Uh, <laughs> and then, uh, Roche shows up one of the new characters. Now I've talking to many people. I've, I've talked to many people about this, about Roche and a lot of people seem to like him a lot and I'm happy for you. This segment felt nightmarish to me. I was so Roche. I did not enjoy it because I was like, this scene, this scene is cool. I'm enjoying this motorcycle scene. And I think before then, there was a moment where like you have to sneak into Jesse's house who li- their parents live topside. Uh, so they're like kind of wealthier. Yeah, they, li- um, they live on the plates. You're, you're leaving the slums and going to the top of the plates. And you have to steal an ID card from her father who's like on his deathbed, basically. From, from maca poison. poison. Yeah. That was really effective to me. And that was another moment where they like kind of uh, synonymous with the beginning of like walking through the streets post bombing is like just directly having you navigate the like the pain that Shinra is inflicting on this whole city yeah. on a very personal level. I also just found the the characterization of Jesse to be really powerful as well. Just like getting more information about why these members of Avalanche feel so strongly about what they're doing, I think. Yes, absolutely. Um, yeah. Is, is really strong. Like, I was interested when we went up to the plates. First of all, just the fact that you're in, you go from a, a place that calls itself a slum to, like, just straight up the suburbs um, yeah. was, yeah. like, really kind of jarring. Um, and then Jesse talking about, like, oh, this is where I grew up. And she was kind of, like, afforded all of the things that you get when you live in a place like that. All the... Uh, all the benefits of that and and has decided to turn her back on that because she feels so strongly about this cause i think it's really is really powerful um and it it was i think heartening to see that biggs and wedge and uh barrett and tifa by extension all welcome her with open arms even though she does have that kind of privileged background the fact that like they understand that she's there for a good reason and believes in the cause as much as them. And it's not just like uh, a, a girl who is trying to rebel against her parents or whatever by like, I don't know, being in a terrorist group, which like she's like being mad on their behalf because so many people yeah. are complacent, I think. And that's one of the things this game, the remake really villainizes over the original is like the complacency of a lot of people. Yeah, absolutely. And, and like you can see why they are. But like it's also like it's disturbing, which which goes into the quote Bear has where he's like, we're the good guys. Like, why? Why aren't people getting behind us in this cause? Mm-hmm. Most people are like, well, Shinra gives me everything. 
what little I have is given to me by Shinra. And if we keep bombing stuff, I'm going to have nothing. Yeah. Uh, which is like a really harrowing situation to be in. At the same time, like, I think that, I think that it's not condoning that acceptance. It's, it's villainizing the complacency of, of, of the people who have more power, like the sort of middle management Shinra employees who are like, this is us helping society. You know, right, right, right. And Jesse's parents who are, you know, like living a comfortable life, but like have also suffered from this. Um, that was a really cool scene. And it's followed by Roche, <laughs> who is a new character. Is this dude with a mullet on a motorcycle and you fight him. And like that segment just isn't really great. Like it doesn't play super well. Uh, it feels very much like the PS1 minigame did, which might have been purposeful. Thank you for saying um, that. That That is... I'll let you, I'll let you continue in a, in a yeah. minute. But one of the problems that I run into with this game is that there are so many moments that feel like PlayStation One, PlayStation Two era game design with the most incredible visual fidelity I've ever seen in a video game. It's yeah. it's it's like you uprezzed a thing that is a, a vestige of a game that doesn't exist. Like there <laughs> there are mo- there are moments of this game that is like oh wow you took this and and perfectly captured it in high fidelity in 4k and then you think for a second you say wait that wasn't in the original game you made this new thing (laughs) yeah for for this it's very confusing but anyway sorry like i would have enjoyed it if it was just sort of like a kind of late night run on the town with with this group of motorcycles to like convince cloud to like stay yes um but then rose shows up and like is basically like an organization 13 member yeah. who's like dance with me and like that don't get me wrong i love the campiness like that could really work but it was so jarring to me emotionally and like goes on forever and is hard yeah uh this is what i then, think this is what you're talking about when you say that like every once in a while the game winks at what it could have been yeah like what i was worried it would be yeah. and it was roche and you fight him and then he goes away and then you end up at like a, you're robbing a, a Shinra warehouse with the card you stole from Jesse's father and you get there and it's like heavily guarded and then a bunch of other uh, troops show up and Biggs is like, oh, that's the rest of Avalanche, but we're too renegade to be with them. I'm like, are you? Because like the last conversation I had was with Wedge about his cats. Like if that's yeah. too rock and roll for Avalanche, like I don't know how they are. I mean, to be fair, they also did the bombing earlier in the game. So I get like I like the idea of them like uh, almost like a rogue one, like kind of mm-hmm. in, in fighting in a rebel group. But the way it was kind of uh, delivered just felt like a like a snowball of exposition from from young Charlie Sheen. Um <laughs> Uh, and then Rose shows back up and like has this really dramatic one-on-one sword fight. And I was just like, this is so like this immediately followed like a really poignant, heavy, emotionally grounded scene. And now I'm fighting this guy who like, I don't know and don't care about. Yeah. Who and says who, who more than actual words. Yeah. And then he hops back in his motorcycle and like helps you and then goes away. Now I know for a fact now that he never shows up again. So in retrospect, oh, really? Yeah, like that's it. That's his only appearance in this part, at least. But like, okay, that to me almost makes me appreciate it just as a total non sequitur. But like, it was just so like I was I was so worried. I had like 
all the fine hairs of my body stand up. I'm like, please don't be like a, a part of the plot. I was like, actually kind are... of a Roche defender, but now that I know he doesn't show up at all and that doesn't pay off in any capacity, now I'm a little bit like, why, why did that happen? There, there, here, so here's the thing. Here's what I think they were going for with Roche is that like in a lot of, I, I thought about in Chrono Trigger, there's like a, a, a speed demon motorcycle guy who can just take you from one place to the other. Mm-hmm. And like, in a lot of older RPGs, there are like kind of non sequitur characters that are almost like in jokes for the game. Yeah. And like just sort of pop up. Like in FF6, there is a octopus named Ultros who's like really arrogant. And it's kind of like the Team Rocket. Like it just randomly shows up and kind of like messes up whatever you're doing. But no one ever refers to them. No one really knows who they are. It's never referenced in the main plot. Yeah. They just show up. And I think that's what they're going for with Roche. But like because of the graphical style and and being directly preceded by like sneaking past Jesse's father's deathbed, it was just so weird. It yeah. stuck out like a sore thumb to me. Totally. It was just so bizarre. <laughs> But then it quickly found its footing again when it then goes back to uh, Barrett and Tifa rejoining the party and you go on the next reactor mission. Um, yeah. That was great. And I have a lot of positive stuff to say about that. My Another thing I'll say, and, and I want to uh, preface this with like, in our two years and some change of doing this show, you and I have never been sticklers for like frame rate or graphics like it's 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 very low on my on my list of priorities um fire emblem three houses is one of my favorite games of all time and if you look at the like groceries uh that are displayed in the market you might go blind uh Mm because they're just like a weird block with like a jpeg of tomatoes put on (laughs) but i don't care at all i have to say though and and I and I I wasn't gonna bring this up at first, but like one thing that does kind of bug me throughout this experience is that like the character designs are so beautiful, the whole cast looks amazing, but randomly like NPCs will 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 be in an environment that looks like you're in Tony Hawk Pro Skater Underground suddenly. Yeah. Like right. there are random textures that are like really really like noticeably low res and like. I don't want to be the guy that points that out, but it really does hurt the experience sometimes. Not in a deal breaker way, but there in a way where in this mission that I'm about to talk about that I really liked, you're you're under the plate and you're turning off sun lamps to reroute energy to open oh, a door. Oh, are you talking about what what the slums look like from where you're standing? Yes. Yeah, I took a bunch of screenshots of that. I also want to um, just mention before we move past the the whole like uh, Jesse Biggs and Wedge section. Oh, sure. Um, that that sequence ends with one of my favorite moments. I think in a video game, it was the moment where I absolutely for sure 100% locked into like I fucking love this game um, was when Cloud and Biggs and Wedge asked Jesse, like, how are we going to get back to the slums from up here? And she's like, I have an idea. And then grab some parachutes. Um, and then a beautiful moment. And you parachute off moment. and it like kicks into high gear with like straight up 1985 John Hughes Breakfast Club ass music. <laughs> and everyone yeah. is just like parachuting down and they're like high fiving on parachutes and just like talking like, yeah, we did it. This is the best. What? This is the best night of my life. And it was like, oh, my God, it's everything I've loved. I mean, if, if you've ever seen my letterboxd.com account, you know that I love John Hughes <laughs> movies uh, and and just like the 80s in general. 
general. Um, that moment for me was just incredible. But also uh, to, to get to where you're talking about, um, I have that same I have that same gripe. I was also thinking about like, do I bring this up? Do I not bring this up? But I'm glad you did first. But but I also have that about when you're in the slums and you're looking up at the plates, which as soon as it started, as soon as I was able to look up at the plates for the first time, I was like floored by the fact that they were there. Just the fact that yeah. I could look up and see it. It was like massive. It was incredible. And then I started walking and I realized that um, I don't know how to describe this. Uh, there, there's a there's a thing in in design and in in game design specifically in visual design whatever that's called parallax um which means that when you're moving a thing that's far away from you is moving uh slightly to show that there's depth there right so like uh, kind of like if you are um if you're looking at a mountain behind another mountain and you move and the mountain that's closer to you is moving more than the mountain that's further away because it's further away from you. Um, the plates do not move at all. That 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 skybox that they've created of the plates above you is completely static. It is just straight up a JPEG, um, yeah. which is like on one hand, like shouldn't bother me at all. But I notice it. And that's and that's where the problem lies. It's it's noticeable. Like it's not everywhere and it's not always, but when it's noticeable, it's noticeable. And yeah. like I think you and I are probably like A, because like we love things and we want to love things and we're like actively seeking to love things. Um, but also like because we're I, I, I would say we're on the same team as game developers. In the, yes, you know? absolutely. Um, that like we, we generally wouldn't call this stuff out, but like when it's egregious like this, when when the rest of the game looks as good as it does, the stuff that looks really bad stands out in a way yeah. that I, I wasn't expecting it to. Cutting between like glow up, like daydream Cloud and Tifa talking to an elf from Oblivion in a Tony Hawk game is jarring. Yes. <laughs> and uh, the, the moment I'm calling to where you're, you're doing the mission above the slums and like what they're going for is like the slums are beneath you. That could have, and, and, and this is a thing because a lot of the game is so atmospheric and when it's successful, it's second to none. Totally. Uh, yeah. Completely agree. But, this should have been a this that whole mission plays out in a really fun way. It's a good mission, but the the floor beneath you, like you can see the image bend at the invisible wall, like right, and and it looks like a Tekken two skybox. It, like it looks, yeah, it looks flat. not too like far away from what the original backplates in Final Fantasy seven looked like. And I am definitely exaggerating there, but when I look at it, it looks that old. Like it looks like Tony Hawk pro skater. One, it's not, and like, it's not even the skybox. quality. It's like, it's this, it's the skew of the image. Like it's off. It's off. Yes. It's like, it's noticeably off. And that it's a bummer because that could have been a really cool detail to have like low key below, like to see how far above you are from the slums. Yeah. And, and it's diffused by the fact that like, and, and look, I, I honestly think that like they probably had priorities to get this game out sooner than later. Yeah. They probably needed more time. This is stuff that they could probably fix in a patch as well. Yeah, like, totally. This is, this is probably stuff that they were like, okay, like we want to get this out on the 10th. The combat is, is tight and fun. The characters look great. And there are no like noticeable performance issues. Yeah. Just put it out and we'll fix the rest later, which I'm not condoning, but I also understand. And like you said, like I wanted this game to take all the time it needed. And I realized that this game is going to forever be under an unfair lens of scrutiny. And, and, and we've been like probably uncharacteristically critical 
in the last few moments. I mean, I think you can be critical of stuff you love. I don't think one exists intent in yeah, place totally. of the other. But I think that like this is an issue that like kind of like is just sort of like the pebble in my shoe through this whole game. Yeah. Like it's not like like the scale of, of my emotions during this game are like leaving the room to cry, then like uh Roche confusion and then like Tekken 2 Skybox. Yeah. <laughs> That's the sort of uh but it's mostly great. Like it I can't I wanna stress that like it's mostly a very great experience and I like actively try to look past the the uh the texture issue but it is it is it is an issue I, and i hope that the the game deserves to look better yeah uh, and it, I say it's, that it's one of those in, things where like i yeah. i would say that this is one of the best games i've played this year and probably will be in our top five at you know come go to 2020 time but there's an asterisk there you know there is like there are just a bunch of asterisks there. Like there, there's a moment uh, when when you first not first meet Aerith, but when you meet Aerith, you know, and she joins your party for the first time and you're climbing from rooftop to rooftop where I stopped for a second to just like look around at the sights. And this is not even a moment where like it, sh- it would be weird for me to stop and look around at the sights. But I saw in the background two helicopter models that were just floating in the background <laughs> That like were clearly going to be used for something eventually, but were just like they tried to hide them behind a building so nobody would notice until that oh moment was supposed to happen. Yeah. And then like five minutes later, the cutscene happened where those helicopters came into play. I was like, okay, well there they are. <laughs> like I saw yeah. them before. And that's because that's that scene is one of my favorite moments. That is that's a scene where they nailed the atmosphere of that moment in the original. Yes, uh, absolutely. Uh, so like it, I think I think the reason we're being harsher on this stuff is because it's like literally alongside what they're doing so well yeah. and it just stands out because of, of the level the rest of the game is at but um, to, to, to kind of keep it going a little bit the the end of that and, and, and ironically even though I criticize the the you know bottom texture that Skyland mission leads into uh, taking on the Airbuster, which is sort of like the the last boss of sort of the first act of the story, I would say. Mm-hmm. That was easily one of my favorite moments in the game. First of all, just a ton of nostalgia for me. Like, that is the first boss that has the official boss theme song in the original game. Right, yeah. Uh, the, like, 90s electric guitar. And the sound... I, we haven't said this. The soundtrack of this game is fucking amazing. Like the the arranged arrangements and remixes and yeah, different versions of the music is so well done. It I goes love it the, goes past doing what I expected them to do, which is just like you just have the original compositions and you orchestrate them. Yeah. Um. And and it 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 elevates itself by like doing like you said remixes and new renditions of those things. Um. And not always leaning on an orchestra at all times. You know, like yeah. that was the easy way out, and that still would have been incredible. And it manages to to one up itself. I think in those instances, the music is is unreal in this game. Yeah, I love the jazz covers in the jukeboxes that you can collect. Like oh my god, and that's yeah. the thing. That's where I kind of wish it was more open because I love collecting that stuff, you know, and, and it, 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 uh, I imagine like there were a lot of directions this game could have gone and I'm actually amazed at how unified the execution is. Yeah. Even though like, you know, the, it, it, it is kind of weird how the side quests are kind of implemented in this, but anyway, taking on the Airbuster, I thought was really cool because in those moments, between those three characters like that's the first time where you start to see the three of them warm up to each other uh you see tifa and cloud interacting in a way that they may have in the past that tifa might have hoped would rekindle in some way 
um, Barrett starts more openly like talking to Cloud as if he's his friend and not just a, a merc for hire. Yeah. And you take on Airbuster, and there's this is a moment that wasn't in the original that I'm so happy exists. I know this episode is mostly me discussing about Tifa, but there's a scene where you go to take the Airbuster <laughs> on, and of course, fucking President Shinra and Heidegger, the, the hammiest of villains, yeah, uh, show up where they're like, oh, <laughs> I mean, and like that that works <laughs> for me. It almost does diffuse like how effective the more quiet moments are like taking Jesse's dad's ID and stuff. But like that was very much in the original of like the, the, the board at Shinra are like penguin plus 1000. Like they're just evil capitalists. To yeah. The yeah. It, it's, it's the, the Thunderball. Um, uh, what's his name? Uh, shit. What, what's the like main villains name from James Bond? Like the original Sean Connery ones. Oh yeah. I know. I, I don't know the name, but I know you're talking about when, when, when he, uh, like does the thing that kills the guy, he like, like turns the guy's, uh, chair into an electric chair and like kills him in the boardroom. Like yeah. that is a straight up final fantasy seven thing. Like they, yeah, they watched yeah. Thunderball like five minutes before it, scripting that scene. And it works. It, like it totally works. Cause like, I think it's, it's, I enjoy the game doesn't hold anything back in what it is critiquing and what it is like taking on yeah. and villainizing. But you know, they're they're there's a recording of them and they're like, Oh, like you're on live TV and we're going to convince the public that like Wu Tai did this bombing and like, you're just basically feeding into our propaganda. Like, thanks for your help. Yeah. And Tifa like finally, like, lets down her her own facade of like pretending everything's okay and it's just like i'm sick of it and like kicks the robot and like it's just such a good moment for that character to like let herself feel the anger that she deserves to feel yeah she is literally the one person in that game who is trying to like provide a sense of home and society for people that are robbed of it and like is someone who lost everything to these people that are openly mocking her. That was such a great moment. God, I'm tearing up. Uh, I just loved it. It was great. And in that fight, after it's done, in terms of like the three of them finally letting down this this mask, uh, you have Tifa feeling anger, rightful anger, and, and, and letting that out. You have Barrett like talk to Cloud as a friend and, and his last words to him before he falls are, I was wrong about you. Like, Mm -hmm. yeah. And that's one of the lines that's delivered in a way that like is human and is effective. Uh, And um, when I say human, I mean like, you know, the facade is gone and cloud meanwhile is actually making a selfless decision. He's going to fall to let them escape. He's not asking them for money. He's doing something for nothing because he cares about them. That was fucking beautiful. Like that was a, that was everything I wanted this remake to be (laughs) in one scene. Uh, and then you fall into like Tony Hawk underground land. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but I mean, no, honestly that scene and, and, and falling into the church with Aerith, which is what happens next was probably my favorite part of the game. Like that, that segment. And that was, that was a part where it wasn't like something completely new, like Roche, uh, but it wasn't one to one. It was, it was, it was a, a scene that existed in the original game that was heightened in a way that that matched the appropriate reactions of the characters and felt so deserved and earned. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I loved it. I loved that boss fight. I loved that moment. Yeah. And what follows is great too. You fall into the church, you meet Aerith. Uh, uh, that's another kind of one-to-one moment where like, 
Cloud has a weird conversation with himself, which I loved. And then Aerith wakes you up. And there's a fun kind of in-joke. She's like, Aerith, it's Aerith. Because famously her name was was incorrectly localized to Aerith in the original. And then Reno of the Turks shows up. Uh, the Turks are like the evil Navy SEALs of Shinra. They're like their like, elite team of bad guys, basically. Yeah, who I'd guess Roche is one of, right? No, he's just like a dude. <laughs> he's just like... Really? A, he worked... He's just literally a guy who works for Shinra that like really likes motorcycles. Okay. Yeah, All that's right. why I don't like him. All right. <laughs> like if they added another member of the Turks, like okay, sure, we don't need another one. But uh, right, it's a bad addition. It almost it like almost ruined my experience if it didn't get so good after that. Yeah. Um. But then Serino shows up. Uh, famous, <laughs> famous character. Kind of one of those villains that, like, you oddly like for no reason. Um, he's also, like, clearly... Like, it's interesting to see Reno because Reno is what Cloud has been pretending to be for the first part of the game. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Reno totally. is, is a actually point. a guy who doesn't give a shit and is doing his job. But also, that's, like, weirdly re- redeems him because he doesn't actually want to do it. He's just there to, like, you know, <laughs> be be Reno. Yeah. But the fight with Reno is, is as we often refer to with boss fights, like the father Gascoigne fight, that is the boss fight that A, I think felt the best, and B, taught me to rethink how I was approaching the combat and how I even thought of the combat entirely. Mm-hmm. Because what I was doing up until that point, I was making use of like, you know, you attack in, in real time and you build up an ATB meter, which you can then pause the combat and choose an ability, a spell or an ability the character has. And every character has their own moves and plays very differently. Cloud, you know, has this sort of hack and slash feel. Tifa is like you're playing like a fighting game. Very cool. Yeah. Uh, Barrett feels like you're playing like a third person shooter. And Aerith feels like you're playing like a Dragon Age game as a mage. Um, <laughs> they all feel great to play and yeah. they're all very fun to play. Totally. And the strategy is always to know when to switch between them, which is like, that is the star of the game. And I think that also oddly more than the side quests do. I think the side quests are trying to, to be microcosmic of clouds, like change into thinking of other people over himself. But what does that more for me is the fact that mechanically you have to do that. You can't just think about cloud. You have to think about everyone. Right. And uh, I think we'll probably get into this at some point later again, but like the material system is great. They really captured like what made that fun in the original and, and kind of streamlined it in a way that works better here. Not to mention that every weapon like kind of has its own uh, pros and cons and its own skill tree. Like that all is amazing. Like the combat and, and the material system and the weapon skill trees are great. I have Uh, been so floored by how much I did not understand or care really about the material system in my first playthrough of the original and how much I fucking love it in this game. Yeah, it is. It's great. Here's the thing is that it's not really explained to you very well in this game either. Definitely better than the original, but still in this game, it's like a little shaky, but it's so intuitively implemented that I think most people will kind of lock into it at a certain point by themselves just by fucking around. I I think it's brilliant that every time you get a new weapon, you have a proficiency meter on that weapon. And just by using it, you can eventually unlock the special skill that that one weapon, every weapon comes with like a special skill that you can use. If you have that weapon equipped, if you fully fill up the proficiency meter, just by using that weapon, that skill is then unlocked for every other weapon you use for the rest of the game. 
it is so fun to do that. Uh, I don't know. Yeah. Have you unlocked? I don't know if I want to say it. Um, uh oh. I'm, 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 uh, I'm actually not going to say it because there's okay. there's a weapon in the game that is hilarious, uh, not hilarious, but just like wild in the way that you get it, and its skill is great. Um, the last weapon I got, it might be this, was from a group of kids yes. who gave me a, a bat with nails. Yeah, in that's it. the one. <laughs> Um, yeah, that was great. And and the skill that comes with that weapon is literally doing like an earthbound home run. Um, That's awesome. Which is great, especially when you unlock that and use it on like the Buster Sword. Um, yeah, it's so yeah. fun. But what I've also found really fascinating and really rewarding is um, at any point you get skill points for your weapons that you can throw into the weapon skill trees, uh, and you accumulate those skill points for all of your weapons simultaneously which means that you can kind of like go around and customize all the different weapons that you have all the time and like max them out the way that you want to or like cater them to your play style uh, and then and then swap back and forth between them or like say, okay, I've maxed out this weapon exactly the way I want, this weapon exactly the way I want, and this weapon exactly the way I want. Now that I've done that, which of these three do I actually want to be using? Um, which is like really fun in a way I wasn't expecting. And not oh, yeah. only that, but once you start doing that for the other characters because that's also a thing you can do um once you start doing that for the other characters it really creates a lot of differentiation between i think the the characters that everybody's creating like tifa for me is like straight up just like a magic brawler which i know is probably not the case for everyone but like i have i think i want to say seven materia slots for tifa at this point and Almost, she has like every single kind of spell available to her. She has awesome. all the magic available. Um, and then like a couple other ones that just like raise the amount of magic that she has at her disposal. Um, so she, she just beats the shit out of people and then like hits them with lightning, poison, ice, fire. And, and yeah. uh, it's great. It's so fun. Um, yeah. But also I have catered my weapon upgrades to match that play style because that's the way I like playing Tifa. So that means that that's how I'm upgrading her weapons. And I know that that's, that's awesome. not going to be the case for everyone. Similarly, and I, I, I alluded to this before, but on the Waypoint podcast, they talked about this with Barrett specifically, where the um, two of the hosts had uh, leveled up their Barretts in completely different ways, where one of them was that like hangback ranged player uh, using magic from afar kind of Barrett. And the other one was just straight up tank, like give him barrier, give him the ability, um, yeah. give him all the abilities that allow you to like uh, heal your party members and stuff and just like take a bunch of damage so everybody else can be the DPS. Um, there are so many ways to customize these characters and I find them all incredible and it's so fun. And that comes back to your favorite new character, Chadley, uh, who mm -hmm. besides just giving you rare materia and also allowing you to do VR missions that allow you to get new summons also allows you to, for the very low price of, I think 50 gil or a hundred gil, which is almost nothing, um, completely wipe out all of the skill points in a weapon and then respec it however you want. So like almost at any point in the game, you can just reset all of that and then try it all again from scratch and like have yeah. a completely new game that you're playing. Um, it's that's it's just like great. That's just the icing on the top of the already great combat that you can cater it to however you want to be playing it. Yeah, it's it's such a good balance of like everyone has a very clearly defined role that there's so much navigation within, like you just said. Yeah. Um, and what's cool too is like every weapon has that like broadcast like Tifa has gloves that like give her more materials, which is probably what you're using. Mm -hmm. 
I, I think it's incredible. And, and, and the best thing, too, is that you see it pay off. That's something that I think sometimes RPGs struggle with, where like you can, you can spend hours planning and doing all this, but then you go to fight and you don't really feel the difference. Yeah. And this game you do because you're playing as all of them. The only thing I wish was there was like some type of AI tactics, but you can give commands to characters you're not controlling, so it works out fine. Yeah. Um, I find myself I think, not really using those as much as I probably should, but also the reason that I, I don't feel very compelled to do that personally because the moments that i've found the combat the most rewarding are the moments in which i a i I switch over to Aerith. i use arcane wind to create like an area of effect so my magic is stronger and then i immediately switch back to cloud before Aerith has even casted it so i can get in a few hits move back into into where the area of effect is going to be and now my atb meter is full and then i use fire and then i switch back to Aerith. like those moments where you're switching back and forth constantly 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 Yeah. are like so fun and so fluid and that moment those moments where it clicks and you're doing we've talked about this on about other games but like the moments where you're doing specifically with souls games which is a weird comparison to make here but the moments where you do a thing on purpose and it's fucking cool and it works are like the moments that i dreamed of when i knew yeah. that this game was coming out you know not to mention like the the fun dialogue they have in the middle of battle like i yeah. love all that stuff it's where so they're goofy, like this yeah. is my turn like cool off and they throw an ice spell yeah, like, yeah. that shit is so it's like good. you wrote um, it yeah <laughs> <laughs> maybe i did i didn't write the roche scene i'll tell you that um but uh going back to reno real quick uh it, while we're talking about all the combat so like all this stuff i love from gecko and only got better but what the reno fight taught me was that even though this is in real time you still have to think of it like a turn-based strategy game yeah or a turn-based combat game because like that is a fight that is all about blocking and like knowing when to attack. And I think the biggest adjustment that this game, because like I was kind of playing it like a near automata for a long time, where like I was trying to get out of the way of attacks more than I was defending, which like you want to do both. But this game is like trying to make you accept that you are going to take damage whenever the enemy attacks. Yes. Like, and you have to know, like, you have to know, like, okay, how do I best endure that? And then what do I do after that? Mm -hmm. Now, it's hard to do that perfectly when there's, like, eight weird hedgehogs that are all bouncing on you and, you know, you don't know their weakness, uh, which is what happened earlier before this recording. (laughs) But, um, it's Blizzard. But, you know, it, it, it like you said, when it, when it, you get when you figure it out and you pull it off, it's it's amazing. And I think you know, in, in terms of what this game is doing better than other elements of it, it seems like their focus was like the characters and the combat, and that's like what shines above all else. Mm-hmm. And that's like kind of the most important. Like it, it feels like what was most important to this game succeeding, they did for the most part, exceptionally well. Yeah, um, I agree. And everything else is kind of like a roller coaster. The most it sticks to the landing. But the Reno fight was great, and and, I, and I've and i really enjoyed the moments with Aerith afterwards. I, I feel, I do also kind of feel like hit or miss with some of the voice direction that that character is given in some moments. I, but, yeah, I, I, I find that in the beginning, or at least in that scene when you first meet Aerith, I didn't find her to be very well acted or well written um yeah but i think it's kind of a byproduct of the way her actual character works and there is a point i found later where she clicked for me more and i started to appreciate her character more 
And it, it all kind of started to work for me in a way that it didn't in the beginning. And I wonder if upon replaying this game, if that were to ever happen, if I would appreciate those scenes more. I don't want to say too yeah, much I about mean, spoiling it, but like I, I, fa- I found that I liked her more as I uh, experienced yeah, her character more. I, I think so. I mean, I think the thing with Aerith for me, like I love the character, but even in the original, I think it's one of those times where like the game really wants you to feel a way yeah. independent of how you are feeling. Mm-hmm. Whereas, like, they give you these, like, grim Sondheim moments with Tifa that just let you feel however you want. And, like, <laughs> you know, it just, like, I, I I mean, you know, I don't want to make this, like, Team Jacob, Team Edward stuff. But, like, I just found that the the characters introduced, or, like, I think Cloud and Tifa just feel much more grounded and real uh, than Aerith and Barrett do in moments. Um, yes. If that makes any sense. Yeah, no, it does. But yeah. I think... But overall, I mean, I think Aerith is a character who has, you know, from what I know of the original story and from what I'm experiencing here, her whole life has kind of been like evading danger. And she's like, like Tifa is one of the few people like keeping hope and society alive and where she is, Yes, Um, which I, I enjoy doing the side quest with her a lot as well. And like how people respond to her in the town. And there are fun moments where like, I think what they really captured well, that was what made her great in the original is like how she kind of just diffuses Cloud's bullshit, you know? You know, like the moment that really stood out for me is when you're on the rooftops walking together and she's like, whoa, help me. And she's like, fooled you. And keeps walking. Yeah. Not not only will she not put up with it, but she is actively subverting it at all times. Like, yeah, yeah. She she knows exactly how to push his buttons from go and loves doing it. Yeah. And I think yeah. that was the thing that didn't really click for me initially that I started to really uh, appreciate later. Absolutely. Yeah. Like there's a great moment where like you're fighting monsters and and he's like, she's like, wow, they're really going for us. And he's like, yeah, they attack stronger prey. Uh, and then like they attack her first. She's like, I guess they went for the stronger prey this time yeah. or something like that. You know, just fun repartee. And like, I, I'm glad that they've gone more in that direction with her because I think a lot of the spinoff stuff has kind of portrayed her as like, this like holy kind of like nun character. Yeah. And she's like a fun person in her twenties. Like she's just like a cool <laughs> girl is in the city, you know? Yeah. Like I do also appreciate though, that she like, I think in the original, it, like her role as a very magic centric character was kind of lessened by the fact that like I've already seen Barrett and Tifa summon like Ifrit before. Mm-hmm. So like her it's like, okay, everyone keeps magic. But like in this game, like the way she like throws kind of lesser spells with her staff and the ability she gets to like replenish ATB, so cool. Yeah. And like gives her a role that's really unique to this game that I would love to see like other games of this kind of party system take note from. Like she's not just healing. She's doing stuff that's like really interesting and and makes the battle system like even more fun. Yeah. Like making a ward that makes an attack go twice. Like that is such a cool ability. Yeah. Um, not to mention like her aura of like Sith lightning, which I really love Aerith doing. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, don't mess with me. Like, <laughs> I know, no, you. Will um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I've, I've been enjoying the scenes with her a lot and that's pretty much where I am now. You're a little bit ahead of me. So I'll let you talk about, wall market and all that stuff and and in the moments that 
came before it. Um, cause I know, I, I think there are a few that you wanted to address. Yeah. I don't, I don't have too much else to say. And honest, I mean, we've already been talking for two and a half hours at this point. So like, Oh no, it's another one of those, isn't it? Yeah. Like may, maybe it is time to call it quits. But what I will say, um, I don't want to end it on too much of a bummer, but my least favorite part of the original game, uh, is about four times worse in this game Oh no! in a way that I wasn't, uh, expecting. But I, I think the the it kind of encapsulates my thoughts on this game is this moment. But like Final Fantasy VII Remake is trying so hard to appease both newcomers and like diehards who wanted it to be like the most faithful, like pure adaptation of the original. Um, yeah. And the scene in which I think that that becomes the most evident is uh, when you are done with the town that you're in. Um, where you're like hanging out with Aerith and you meet her mom and all that kind of stuff and you have to travel from that sector. I think that's five to back to sector yeah, seven. Sector five. Uh, uh-huh. When you go from five to seven and you have to go through the collapsed expressway. Do you, do you remember what I'm talking about? Oh, the train graveyard. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that moment in the original game was the point that I found myself most frustrated by like I'm playing a PS1 game. Um, uh-huh. because the backplate and the sprites and stuff just like don't work and they try and make it a puzzle sequence in that game and yeah, it is yeah. so muddy and gross that it's like almost unplayable in in at least in 2019 when I played it. <laughs> it's so it. funny because like that I could like close my eyes and know exactly what to do in that moment but yeah it's not like well done it's just it's a really great like I love the atmosphere of that moment in the original of just this like part of the map that's like a bunch of broken trains that yeah. you have to like get through yeah but um in this game it is i would say four or five times as long is filled with puzzle sequences and a bunch of like combat which is really fun and introduces some new characters and like the combat was like definitely the highlight of it but um just the fact that they felt the need like because that sequence existed in the main game that meant that they had to recreate it in this game and they were like okay let's do something new and fun and flirty with it um and what they ended up with was like something that was maybe even worse than the original i i think is like <laughs> kind of indicative of at least their mindset when making this game that was like square's yeah. outlook on it and in some cases like air buster it fucking works and they nail it and it's awesome uh and in some cases like the the collapsed expressway it completely falls on his face and is like a huge bummer which i don't think everyone's going to feel that way about that sequence i just feel a very particular way about that sequence because of how i feel about the original um yeah but like i i I think that that is that is kind of my overarching thought on this game is that they they went through great lengths to try and like plus up everything that was in the original in some way, shape or form. And yes, they're filling in gaps with new stuff. And like you and I have talked pretty extensively already about it and will again in the future. Um, but the stuff that's already there that they're trying to uh, faithfully recreate, I think like I want, like I said earlier, I wanted them to take big swings. And I think like some of those swings are saying, Hey, this sequence doesn't need to be here and it doesn't really add yeah. to the game. And, and it doesn't seem like they took that approach at all. Like if it's in the original game, it's in this one in some form. But I mean, that said, you know, again, we're being like more negative than usual, but overall, like I'm having the fucking best time with this game. I think it's it's so, so, so incredible. Um, I, you haven't hit Walmart yet, which is like a huge kind of question mark that I think you and I both had. And like most people had about like, how are they going to handle some of the stuff that happens in that original game? And I think you and I should talk about that more in maybe the next episode or the one after that or whatever. Yeah. Um, but like I, I hit Walmart and before doing any of the quests there, I spent like very literally 
an hour and a half just exploring it uh, before doing anything. I was just visiting shops, listen, like overhearing conversations in the streets, uh, just like checking that place out because it's so dense and it's so interesting. And that's kind of what I find most interesting about about this game is like I can go to a place like Walmart and spend an hour and a half just checking out this like seamless recreation of a thing that was like two screens and 18 sprites in the original game uh, and 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 have like a fully fulfilled wild like uh, environmental storytelling narrative experience just doing that and then also sometimes I look up at the the plate skybox and it doesn't fucking move and is like a compressed JPEG <laughs> and like that's what's so strange about this game to me is yeah. is I can't have a session where I sit down and play it where I don't walk away with one thing that I thought was bad uh, like 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 actually like really bad um, and everything else is so great that I, ha- I have such a hard time like I have such a hard time um, I, I like focusing on it and saying like this game is incredible because those things are so glaring um, yeah. but like for all intents and purposes this game shouldn't exist and does and is not only playable but like incredible and faithful and I think will probably appease both the diehards who played the original and wanted it to be a faithful recreation and also people who've never played it before and that doesn't include whatever happens at the end which I don't know if you have heard anything about that and I won't say anything else really beyond that but like apparently the end is very controversial um or like where they choose to end this game is like very different than the original so we'll see what that's like but i i've i've seen both camps of like positive and negative takes on that ending not knowing what it is but like i've seen people react positively negatively to it yeah and i mean i've like the in most like oddly enough i feel like most just discussions about this game are universally positive like i mean not to say like everyone but like i was expecting it to be much more divisive and i and i you know, th- this obviously means a lot to me. Um, I am like really. I think I think it's a series of moments, and like when it nails it, like it it feels like a dream come true. Like I literally, like I said, I've had to leave the room to weep after some moments. Yeah, like the Airbuster finale, and I imagine even though the ending, you know, we'll see what happens. But like I imagine the like finale of this game will be incredible because here's the thing when the moment calls for things to be big this game delivers but not everything needs to be big like you said like uh i i also feel that even though the combat's great i feel like every fight i'm on like death's door which is like (laughs) keeps me engaged i'm like why is every maybe i'm bad but why is every fight like this you know there are some fights Um, coming up steven that i am so (laughs) interested to hear your takes on because they get rough i feel like a lot of this game i think of you know talking about like uh the idea of making everything bigger which like i i have enough faith in the vision of the project that i don't think even if that's maybe a, a thing with this part i think that maybe in the future installments they'll they'll take a lesson of because like you can't realistically do that with the rest of the game. If like the Chocobo Ranch is like an eighty-hour uh, Stardew Valley mini game, yeah, uh, you know it's it's never going to end. I think like you know I, I'm excited to see what they choose to focus on in the world map, and hopefully it does open up a little bit. But I I think the analogy I have for this game is like you know in Photoshop you can always make an image smaller uh, and not lose any visual quality. But if you make it bigger than it originally was, the computer just sort of has to make up logic to fill in gaps. Yeah. And that's what's happening here for better or for worse. And I think like, I honestly, in a w- weird way, even though I, I criticize Roche, like 
the game does do a lot of original stuff that I think does work. We didn't even talk about the addition of uh, of the like Dementors from Harry Potter. Yeah, I can't, I can't uh, believe we didn't touch on that literally at all. But but that actually like that that happened. Their appearance in the scene where you meet Aerith for the first time r- really worked for me. I that changed the tenor of that scene and, and the direction of it and why you choose to escape the way you do mm. in an interesting way that was engaging i also feel like there are you know like there are scenes like the airbuster ending i mean that's a big moment in the original too because that's when cloud is separated from uh bear and tifa mm-hmm. and in this game like that moment had extra weight for me because that's the first time you really see them getting like they finally are a team and they're, separated. And they're immediately separated. Yeah, uh, yeah. It's it's so, uh, Empire Strikes Back. Yes, exactly. It, ha- it has that that kind of somberness to it. So I'm like I'm I'm so invested. I'm 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 really enjoying it. I think you know if, if you've listened this far, you're probably either farther than us, or you're uh, it, it's either you are farther than us in the game, or uh, you don't care about spoilers. But uh, thank you for taking this journey with us. But I think in terms of like recommendations and and you know like like we said earlier. We're not critics. We're not, we don't end our show with like recommending stuff or not. But like, I always try to remain aware that like when we talk about a game, it does, you know, raise interest in it in some way. All, all things said, uh, we've covered a lot of this game and a lot of our time with the original. And, and there's so much to unpack here. I, I truly am having a great time. And, and I think that for the most part, if you like FF7, you're going to have a great time with this game. Um, and hopefully, I think a lot of the texture stuff that we talked about, hopefully that can be fixed in a patch or two. Um, I hope that's not too much wishful thinking, because I do think it is like enough to get in the way. But um, yeah, for the most part, the game the game sticks the landing of what should have been an impossible project. Yeah, yeah, totally agree. Yeah, and as someone who doesn't really have the nostalgia glasses uh, on for this game, I'm also really loving it uh way more than i thought i was going to like i i'm very surprised to say that i will probably finish this game uh which is you know not a thing that we do very often but i really could see myself finishing this like within the next week week and a half um, oh, yeah, at I, least no, just, I have no choice i, I will finish it yeah sure. i'm actually surprised you haven't already but um just just <laughs> given the pace that i've been playing already um I, I i see that being a very clear possibility uh so i'm excited to talk about the rest of it with you because man it's it's great so far it's great so far i yeah. i'm also uh we, we've been recording for like almost three hours at this point so I, i'm also Uh-oh. losing steam a little bit but maybe yeah I think uh, I think maybe it's time to wrap up and we'll come back and talk about some more stuff because like I have a bunch of other stuff that I want to talk about but I think I think we should do that in maybe another episode. Yeah, that sounds good. Uh, let's let's wrap up, BB. Yeah. Oh my God, there was a segment though where uh, in the Airbuster part where they're like, "Oh, these are uh, like big bombers. We big call bombs. them BBs." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, thank you as always for listening. Uh, we have a great time making this show. And uh, we're just always thankful that it has an audience. If you like the show and you want to support it, literally sending it to a friend who you think might like it is the best way to help it grow. Reviewing on Apple Podcasts out of five stars is also very helpful. We have a lovely, very lovely Discord that I would recommend more than anything else, really. Uh, Link is in the show notes. It's bit.ly slash TWG right? TWG Discord. Discord, sorry. You can just go to the worstgarbage.online and the link is also there. Yeah, um, we have a Patreon as well. Like we say every episode in recent uh, times, 
Please do not donate if it puts you in any kind of weird economic situation or any kind of strain. We don't want that. We can keep doing the show without any financial support, but it just helps us do more. But we do want to thank the people who are currently uh, donating to that. Yes, I have the list. Hell yeah. uh, thank you so much to Akira, Alex, Andrew D, Andrew D, Ariel, Bede, Benjamin D, Benjamin W, Bolt, Brendan, Brett, and Catherine, Christopher, David, Dennis, Elliot, Hilton, Inez, Jason, Jeff, Joeri, Josh, Cameron, Connor, Kieran, Kim, Kyle, Mark, Marcel, Marianne, Melly Muffin Pie, Micah, Min, Murray, Naomi, No Name, Pablo, Philip, Robert, Salute, Peasy, Scout, Sebastian, Shelley, Skin Tight Alloy, Spencer, Trevor, and William. Uh, Thank you all. Thank to, you uh, for for backing the show. Um, yeah, man, I can't believe we played Final Fantasy VII remake in real life. <laughs> this honestly, I had a great time, but this was also emotionally devastating to me. Yeah. I don't know why. Like, it was all, it was mostly positive, but it just was like really a big deal for me. Yeah, just real whiplash. Honestly, the the thing that I'll say about um, you know now that now that we're post uh, all the podcast stuff, I guess. Um, to get like a little bit in the weeds about how the sausage is made with this show. Like I have played so much of this game because I kept thinking to myself, if I just play a little bit more, I'll have my take on it. And like, I still haven't solidified one. Like I still don't really know where I land on this. Um, I mean, I love it. Don't get me wrong. I'm, I'm like having a fucking blast playing it, but like my overall take, I don't think has, has solidified yet. And I'm wondering how much it's going to be swayed by what happens next. Um, you know, with the Walmart stuff and how they handle that and, and, and so on and so forth. But like so far it's been great. And, and, and I'm, just excited to keep playing and see where we land and talk about it again in another episode. Yeah. Yeah. And, I, and I'm curious, I'm really like almost scared of this, of this ending that's looming. Uh, and like, you know, what, what little we know of the future installments, like that's something that I originally wasn't really concerned about, but now like am more interested in now that we're, you know, playing the first part, but at the end of the day, like this shouldn't exist and does and is great to play and I'm having a good time. Yeah. Uh, so I'm I'm excited to to I honestly want to play more of it suddenly and I'm excited to talk about it more with you, my friend. Yeah. Same. Um, also, I guess just worth noting in terms of other stuff that's happening. Uh, I just like bought a bunch of games recently. I got Swords of Ditto for the Nintendo Switch, which I'm very Hell excited yeah. about. Um, I busted out my Vita again. Yes. Because uh, it was in the desk that I work from now. And I was like, oh my God, my Vita's here and my charger's here. I, I should uh, boot it up. And uh, I've been, I started Persona 4 Golden again. Oh my God. Yes. Amazing. I actually, I got uh, Persona 5 Royal as a gift from my friend Bobby. Thank there you, you go. Bobby. Great. I got the steel book case. It's a beautiful. It's great. Yeah, it is gorgeous. Um, um, I'm saving that for post FF7 cool. as a treat. Yeah. yeah. So I, I've been playing um, Persona 4 a little bit on and off recently, which Hell has been yeah. great. I'm like five or six hours in already, which is great. So uh, I'll just, you know, I'll talk about that eventually. Excited to like finally be playing it for real for real, I think. Like now now that I've had all this time in other Persona games and stuff, like it's really starting to click for me. Um, I played um, an Endless Runner that was uh, Minions themed on the iPhone. <laughs> recently because it was uh it was that woke me up it was back it was the featured app on the app store one day and i was like all right and then i tried it and uninstalled it immediately (laughs) (laughs) um i dyed my hair red i shaved a mustache it looks great thanks yeah that's it that's all i have to say it's very late 
it's tomorrow yeah. now it wasn't it's tomorrow, tomorrow when we started recording now it's tomorrow uh, i moved into a new apartment and literally walked 12 miles uh in the in the process of doing that was so sore from carrying so much stuff and walking so much that i took a shower and like screamed in relief <laughs> it was like <laughs> ah! it was really haunting we didn't even talk about this but i love like I think two or three different characters in Final Fantasy VII Remake say as they're like battle banter, like, can't wait to take a shower eventually. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's, I think in short, like what I, what I wanted from the remake is exactly what the battle banter is like. Yeah. yeah. Um, and that's, that reminds me too of what I like about Persona where they like comment on what's happening. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, let's wrap up. We're let's done. stop. Um, thank you so much to AJ, our producer, especially for this episode oh, for yeah. wrangling this, this big audio a, file. Uh, if you one. can, oh wow, if you can hear, I'm actually losing my voice now. So I think it's time to stop. Why was even Brendan? They literally had nothing more to say. <laughs> Goodbye. I'm waving at the camera, but only Stephen can see it. Bye, everyone. Goodbye. Goodbye. Thank you for this opportunity. It's all beef hot dog. TWG, the worst garbage dot online.